But for the moment, he's redeemed. Yeah. Yeah. How strongly do you believe in redemption? Um, well, that's a good question because I think ultimately it has to do with, and I want to be careful with this sort of thing, but it has to do with um, the emphasis on Christianity in my mind and my experience has been maybe the dark side of it. Um, and yet I know there's supposed to be a light. There's supposed to be a redemption. There's supposed to be something that, uh, that is uplifting, something that takes you out of yourself and that uh, I guess one would call a redemption. I don't know if I'm there. And that's what that Father Principe said when he saw a taxi driver. He said, well, I'm glad you ended it on uh, Easter Sunday, not on Good Friday. And then ultimately told me there's too much Good Friday, not enough Easter Sunday in your films. Really? Yeah. Well, what can you do? Um, well, all right, so we're back on the Wages of Cinema. And, and we today, have a guest. We we have a guest on today. This is kind of new for us. Usually, if I have on a guest, it's usually when Andrew isn't around. Uh, you know, because I feel like we're, we have, I feel like we're bringing in another person into our relationship or something. A but menage a trois. A menage a trois of cinema. Like a yeah. cin- cinema trois. Uh, <laughs> whatever that means. But this is a guy who, um, I've wanted to have on the show for a while now. I just, uh, have been kind of following, I've known this guy off and on over the years. We went also to the same school as Andrew and I did, William Patterson, New Jersey, um, and I just really followed how he's been passionate about movies and has always posted about movies he's watching and movies he's like. And I could tell that he's usually pretty on the ball about things. Also a filmmaker. Uh, I believe, uh, is Stephanie online? Can we see your short film? It will be soon. Okay. Well, that would be cool. So I'm pleased to welcome to the program, uh, Romney Rosario. Thank, thank you for thank coming you. today. Um, yes. Jack so, um, say thank you. Oh, it's good to have you. Yes, it's good to have you. And I, part of the reason I wanted to have you on as well is because I know you're kind of a fan of this guy like I am. Uh, but of course for me, this is, you know, if I had, I really hate saying, uh, when people ask me, well, what got you into movies? What was the, what was the movie that made you want to be a filmmaker? Hey, and Jack, that's a question that I want to kill Jack, people when they Jack, ask me that. I have a question for you. <laughs> Yes. What got you into movies? <laughs> I'm gonna ah, throw a pen at you. Uh, no, it, I. When when usually asked that, I do have kind of a stock answer because it is partially true that it's Scorsese movies. It was movies that I saw when I was 12 or 13 years old, and um, and they were films that really impacted me. Now Scorsese is a guy who. Uh, well, let me start off this this discussion by just saying a quote uh, by him. Um, you can't do your work according to the other people's value, to the people's values. I'm not talking about following your dream either. I never liked the inspirational value of that phrase. Dreaming is a way of trivializing the process. The obsession that carries you through the failure, as well as the successes, which can be hard to get through. If you're dreaming, you're sleeping. It's important and imperative to always be awake to your feelings, your possibilities, your ambitions. But you also know this for your work, for your passions. Every day is a rededication. Painters, dancers, writers, filmmakers, it's the same for all of you, all of us. Every step is a first step. Every brushstroke is a test. Every scene is a lesson. Every shot is a school. So let the learning continue. 
Martin um, Scorsese, noted director and anti-sleep activist. <laughs> <laughs> He's somebody who I kind of get the sense doesn't get a lot of sleep. Yeah, maybe. He's sleep, somebody... Sleep, sleep. What does that mean? I don't know what sleep means. Um, <laughs> you know, he... Well, you know, he's somebody who, when you see him in interviews and you see him in certain, in the few times he pops up as an actor in movies, yeah. he's he, very he, hyperactive. He is slightly frantic, slightly highly frantic, animated, highly animated. You know, he's also marked by the fact that he's kind of a short guy. He's five foot four. Shark Tale, remember that one? Oh, thanks for reminding me. Okay, how about Round Midnight? You see that one? Actually, I have not. He's have a, you seen Dreams? Yeah, with Kurosawa. Yeah, Play, he plays Van Gogh. He's yeah, he plays him. Vincent Van Gogh, and I love when he pops up in the movie though, because this character, like, he suddenly sees Vincent Van Gogh is painting something, yeah. and Scorsese. What is that? What is that? No, no, what? he turns to him. He's like, "Why aren't you painting? Yes. Why aren't you painting? You see paint? Yeah. You have to paint. <laughs> you have to feel." And he actually does that thing where you hold up two fists and you're like. Uh, yes. And it's very, like very 1980s, you know, And they dye his beard so that red. he has a red beard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well back in the like early nineties it went great, but uh, I think Goodfellas was the last one where he had the black the, Yeah, he stopped wearing the beard really. Yeah, yeah there I, there was a time I didn't know that Martin Scorsese ever had a beard or yeah. a mustache. And it wasn't until I heard someone talking about the movie um what movie is it? Uh, Angel Heart. Yeah. That I heard Louis about. Cipher. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, the, well, the story in that was that Robert De Niro kind of based his performance right. his impression on uh, on him. Um, <laughs> the long fingernails. So you know, Martin Scorsese is somebody who, again, I just I just associate him with the movies. He's the guy that makes them. He's a guy that loves them. He can't stop talking about them. I've experienced so much cinema, and it's meant so much to me. Uh, it's been such a, a really, really strong connection to my whole life. Um, uh, it was a motivator, and it was the way, more than a motivator, it was the way I experienced certain emotions and ideas that um, I couldn't express otherwise, or couldn't be expressed to me otherwise where I was from. Um, and uh, it, it, for many different reasons, um, many different reasons, I wound up making movies, but um, there's no way I can ever compare a movie of mine to the films that formed me. There's just no way. There's no way you could say uh, it's like Kazan or it's like Grimoire or like, uh, you can't say it. So you may, people say you're a master at times. Well, maybe because you get old enough, you kind of think you know what you're doing. But I, I don't mean to be, believe me, not falsely immodest. It's just that the beauty of it is that you never really know and uh, part of the, the fun of it and the fear of it, I sh the anxiety of it, is finding out as you go along. And, you know, he's 71, maybe going on 72, and he's still making them. And he has a new one coming out this year. Uh, and I just thought, not this, not this year, it'll be one next year, uh, called Silence. Right. Which you might find kind of ironic considering how much the guy talks yeah. and how much sound is in his films That's but a, one of his passion projects he's been trying to work on since like the 80s just like Gans of New York yeah he was trying to make it in the 70s and, and oh yeah. yeah he has a select group of passion projects yeah. and we'll talk more about that okay. in a moment here when you talk though talking to the mic just don't yeah. always yeah. don't let's, always let's, face let's, the mic let's, okay. let's fix the mic a little bit no, let's, let's get this way like well no what we could do right. is uh, right. maybe if you hold on let's just turn it more like alright that that way it's kind oh, yeah, of there we go. There that we go. way it's it's kind of democratic, right? This guy comes in. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm only making my podcast better. 
you yeah. jerk. All right. <laughs> All right. So let's just start with the beginning. Like, Scorsese is a guy who, uh, well, first off, he's somebody who is synonymous synonymous with New York. He is uh, born in Little Italy, and originally the guy wanted to be a priest. He was sort of raised in the very, very uptight Catholic church at the time. I think that uh, at the time period he was in the 50s, uh, this is before something called Vatican II Startup, oh, yeah, you know, because Vatican II kind of loosened things up, right? So, this was when you still had, um, I don't know what it was called, yeah. And what was was it called, like the catechism or something? Am I thinking that wrong? I'm not Catholic, all right. I know you're not, but um, the point is, though, he was raised up in this very strict Catholic world, but at the same time, he's one of these people who, frankly, he was kind of a, a nerdy kid, he by by nature of his asthma. He and he said he wasn't born with it. He got he had some kind of operation that gave him asthma, and so he was always sick. And so he was he was either in his bedroom watching over the neighborhood he was in, or he was taken to the movies. Uh, you know, they didn't know what to do with him. They thought, all right, well, kids like movies. Well, we'll take him to ch- check out some you know movies here and there. And um, you know, and again, he's in New York City, so. You know, I almost wonder sometimes what if he had been in another city where they didn't, where they had only one movie theater. You know, he might have been a very yeah. different person because in New York City you could see everything. You know, they get every kind of movie that comes out there. Um, you know, if he'd grown up in like Topeka, Kansas, you know, he wouldn't even be Martin Scorsese. You know, he'd be like Marty the annoying barber or something like that. Um, <laughs> You mentioned that going to the movies was an erotic experience for you. I want to know if this is true. Is it true that you were very possessed with Wendy and Peter? Yes. You were. <laughs> Wendy, it's a little tricky in that Disney film, I'm telling you. There's one, she was, you know, first of all, Tinkerbell was Marilyn Monroe. She, she was patterned in the Disney film I'm talking about. That was Monroe at the time. Uh, really, it was patterned after her. Mm-hmm. But Wendy, at one point, she has to uh, step over on a rock or something, and her dress goes up, and the, the leg and the knee and the ankle, uh, that was it. <laughs> Why are you ruining future directors, Kansas? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he's no, but his upbringing is really notable in, the, in all ways Marker. because... He gets to see like all the major movies of the 1950s, and in particular stuff by John Ford really impacts him. Uh, foreign films really impact him, like The Red Shoes. He always cites as one of his major movies. Stuff by the Pal Pest Pressburger Group. Pal Pressburger, yeah, right. um, but then he also loved uh, genre movies too. Like he was a western junkie. He just saw like every western there was. I remember he was talking once, and what was that movie he came out? He, he talked about all the different movies that he liked. Well, A Personal Journey right. Through American Movies. He was which talking was, about a, a movie called yeah. Duel in the Sun, starring well, Gregory that, Peck. He cited that as the very first film that he ever saw. Right. Because he was taken to that movie when he was four years old, much too young for it. Yeah, and it was it was because... I think uh, they were talking about like the Catholic, the Catholic uh, Legion. Yeah, they condemned it. Decency condemned it, but basically that mean, meant that oh, here's something juicy we can see, <laughs> and it was like oh, we're going to see this film to see how terrible it is. Let's go yeah. buy a ticket. Let's let's go see what uh, Gregory Peck and uh, and David Selznick have to cook up now. Gregory uh, Peck. 
Gregory Peck. We're gonna go into the sun and have a duel. Howdy. That's not my son. <laughs> God, help me. Is that from the omen? <laughs> the omen. <Yeah. laughs> you was cut beneath the hair. Good, good reference. He from hell, fouls, I stab at thee. <laughs> that is not my child. Oh, by the way, as a side note, um, you know, you know Chris Corsese, he later did a remake of Cape Fear. Of course. He, right. g- he gave Gregory Peck he a the cameo. Yeah. He switched the role. Yeah, Robert, Robert Mitchum plays the, the, the cop, the and uh, and Gregory Plays's Peck the, is like a lawyer. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, no, the judge. I Max Cady's lawyer, the bad guy. Right. Yeah, he switched, yeah. The, he switched the roles around. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, alright, so, you know, Martin Scorsese, he, he keeps, uh, he, he keeps thinking, I'm gonna be a priest, I'm gonna be a priest, but then he also decides to enroll in what was the early version of NYU at the time, when they didn't have a film school, right. people could just kind of sign up, it wasn't the NYU like it is now, uh, you know, it wasn't the super prestigious place, it was just another place to go to right. a school, um, and he talked about how at the time, he had this one film professor, this guy named Haig Mnugin, right. who really would like berate students and just took no shit from anybody. And he was this kind of guy who would just throw people out of their class who, uh, you know, they would come to this film class, and this was in 1960 or so, and this was when, okay, you're here to really seriously analyze movies. If you think you're just going to hang out here and, all right, I'm going to watch a movie, get out now. And Scorsese's like, ooh, this is this is intense. We need him at Wooly P, by the way. Hagmanusian. What's up? He- a Hagmanusian Hague- type. We need it at Wooly P. Oh, oh, you need it there. Yeah. Well, we need a tough. You know, we're not. That's here to you, watch. Jack. Yeah. Maybe go. someday you should throw people out. We, of we this got a lot podcast. of students just there to watch movies. You know. Well, yeah, yeah, of <laughs> course. Sleep, you know. Yeah, they. If you go to a film as a medium class, you know, I I went there when this guy, uh, Professor Katz, was there. And he was somebody who seemed like he was kind of a cool guy, but he was really tough underneath. And, and he was also a cat. <laughs> Cats. He was, he was gone by the time I was there. Yeah. Wow, that's Andrew, that joke. <laughs> he was also a cat because his name is Cats. I never met him, but I'm pretty I, sure. I, he was he, a cat's he man, to, probably. He used to talk like this. He had the voice like a vampire. Now, today, class, we are going to watch Double Indemnity. It's really lovely film. And, oh, what's that? Ooh, there's a ghost behind the screen here. There's, there was a moment where I wasn't in this class, but a fellow student told me how he was in a film class with this guy, Katz, and there was some kind of noise or something behind the screen in the screen room, and he turned around and he's like, Oh, there are ghosts behind the screen. <laughs> and he had kind of like an artichian accent, but it sounded more like... The, Bell ca- the count from Sesame <laughs> yeah. Street. Yeah, yeah pretty much. number is two. <laughs> Today we learn about the Louis Bunuel. Really <laughs> he sounds kind of like Groom from... <laughs> <laughs> he has his minions. So, Martin okay, Scorsese Martin goes to NYU, he gets a professor, and then he makes a ton of films. Well, uh, alright, end of podcast. Um, no, <laughs> thanks Andrew. Let's talk about the films. Okay. Well, he starts off with the short films, of course, at school. Did he do the now, one with I, the shaving? Yeah. Well, yes, but he also made two films which are notable just by their titles. His very first film is called What's a Nice Girl Like You Doing in a Place Like This? Right. And it's not just you, Murray. 
Yeah, I've seen Mur- the Murray. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good one. That he his short films show a lot of promise, but of course the one that still stands out and still is really freaky is the big shave now for those of you who wonder what the big shave is the big shave is a five minute short film where you just watch a guy shave and the key thing is that at first you just see the guy shave and it's put to this song called uh i've been around the world in a plane and it's this like old time song he finishes shaving and then he feels his face it's like oh i'm not i haven't done enough he shaves again and it's like, oh, and he's using one of these old-time shavers, and he's just completely ripping up his face, and blood's coming out, and it ends with him slicing his neck horizontally, and, yeah, you should just see it. It's literally yeah. a bloodbath. Yeah, no, yeah. literally. and I. It's kind of disturbing. When I first heard of it, <laughs> I thought that it was... Salo, Salo disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I first watched <laughs> it, I thought it was supposed to be an allegory for Vietnam or something. Some but people I think, have read into that. But into I think it. that it was more about his Catholicism in some way. That it's like no matter how many times you try to repent for something, you're never totally clean. Yeah, clean yeah. Wash, so, wash your sins away. Kind yeah, of. wash your sins right. away. I think shave all, his, your... all his films uh, have some sort of Catholicism theme. I mean, even even Cape Fear, we go back to that. Cape Fear oh, has yeah. a, with, the, with the cross behind and good and evil. Yeah. A certain amount of self-loathing, although it's kind of a mild self-loathing. Yeah. Which, is, which is why he loves his own film that he likes watching is After Hours. Because it's about guilt. It's about a guy who's hmm. being pay, uh, punished for this one deed that he's trying to do, which is bang Rosanna Arquette. So the entire night he's being punished for that. Like his his guilt is. He, and he said he likes watching that movie again. That's his favorite one that he can watch. You know, you know how ah. the will be very so. Oh, I can't watch this. I can't watch that. But after hours he'll watch. That's an over interesting and over. one. I, well, I'll, br- I'll come that. back to that in a little bit because right. that's an interesting point in his film history. Right, right. He starts out with uh, basically making his student film was called uh, "Who's That Knocking at My Door," and um, that's the kind of movie that I, in a way, relate to in the sense that. He made it on whenever he could get equipment and when right. he could get the actors. Uh, and he made it over a period of like three years, uh, you know, heavily influenced by Italian New Wave and all the New Wave filmmakers he at the time. Made a very, uh, he could have made, it, made a, a Shadow Puppet animated feature in that time. <laughs> well, the Shadow Puppet in that movie was... The Shadow Puppet in that movie was Harvey Keitel. Uh, <laughs> is he also he, named Charlie in that movie? He's also named... No, is he? I thought his name was J.R., you're right, you're right. It's Maybe my, so. My I mean, J-R-A. he said that there's a connection between Who's That Knocking Meat Street. Yeah. In one interview, I actually I went and saw him live. Like, he presented Mean Streets a few years ago in New York City. Oh, and uh, at the Q&A, he said that the events in Mean Streets are supposed to take place during the events of right. Who's That Knocking, which doesn't make much sense. Right, it's like a precursor. Yeah. Or it's probably, he, he just it's uses the same, same character. Yeah. yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Now, you talk about, you know, you thought that Hari Keitel, he didn't look young in Mean Streets, but he looks very young in this movie. Yeah. He's a little bit younger. Um, he just had, like, this this two-year window when he was still young. <laughs> <laughs> and then it all went downhill. Yes. Um... Well, the interesting thing in this movie is that he uh, he he sent the movie to distributors, and they told him, "All right, we'll take the movie, but you gotta add a sex scene." He's like, "What? Well, how am I supposed to put a sex scene in this movie?" And so he just decided, "Okay, all right, Harvey, come with me. We're gonna go to Amsterdam." And they filmed this really <laughs> weird, just surreal scene where Harvey Keitel and this girl are in this room. 
And how you could tell for part of the scene is like tied they to a bed. They walk into a black room with a reflective floor. Pretty much. And Harvey Keitel sinks into the floor and disappears. <laughs> yeah. Well, to give you an idea of the scene, this is years and years before Apocalypse Now, but they score the scene to the end by the doors. Yeah. Oh, cool. And so, and the weird thing is that Martin Scorsese films the scene. He's like, oh, I like how this came out. Now, where do we put it in the movie? Oh, you know what? Let's just plop it in the middle of the film. It's like there's a scene where Harvey Keitel and, you know, it, it's the movie's really about... This gr- his girlfriend is. Uh, she tells him that years ago she was raped by these guys, and he can't take it. Like he can't process how. Wait, I, I can't believe that you let that happen to you. And it's like he, you know, in the way his messed up Catholic mind works, it's like that might have been your fault. And so it's kind of a messed up movie in that sense. But before that happens, there's a scene where him and this girl are just walking down the street. And all of a sudden, this scene happens out of nowhere. <laughs> um, the real most memorable part of that movie, though, involves the scene where it's shot all in slow motion, and it's Carvey Keitel and his friends are just hanging out, and uh, they're passing around this gun, right. and the song Watusi comes up, oh, and Ray Barreto. Yeah, it's like it's like a tango song. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it's a very stylish scene. Just watching this scene, you could kind of tell. All right, this is this guy's set to go. Um, and uh, luckily, Roger Ebert was there at the beginning. It was like he was just at the start of his film critic career, and you know, Scorsese at the start of his movie career. And Ebert sees this movie and he says, "All right, it's not perfect, but you know, I've just seen the birth of a new film master." And, and there's like, a weird sex scene in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so after this, Scorsese, he doesn't, his career doesn't take off right away. I mean, he gets the attention of certain filmmakers, like John Cassavetes, who he's also a big fan of, and vice versa. They become friends. He actually becomes a professor for a while at NYU. One of his students is Oliver Stone, right. which is kind of awesome. I love hearing the story about that, because when Oliver Stone is asked, so what was Scorsese like as a professor? Oliver Stone says, he was nuts. He was absolutely <laughs> crazy. You know, and uh, um, one of the cool things is that if you go on YouTube, I just discovered this yesterday, they have an interview with Scorsese when he was just 27, and he sounds different. He His voice sounds deeper. I don't know whether he was trying to maybe sound more adult in a way or what it was, but uh, he talks about the process of being a filmmaker, or not a filmmaker, but being a film professor and how he likes getting people together uh, to make movies. And he doesn't really like showing a lot of movies. He just likes getting people to send him in scripts, and then they revise the scripts, and they try to shoot something. And... He says, frankly, in the interview, yeah, a lot of these student films were bad. Uh, <laughs> but we got some good ones. Yeah. Um, so after this, Roger Corman sees who's that knocking at my door and says, Corman. you know what? Yes. The good old Roger Corman uh, says, you know what? I want to do a sequel to Bloody Mama. Uh, I want to do a kind of a 30s gangster movie in the Deep South. And... Um, there's this great story. I remember the first time I saw a documentary on Scorsese. I was about like 15, and he talked about Boxcar Bertha as this movie where. Oh, I know. He, the, I've seen the trailer to that. Have you? On trailers from hell. Okay, so they talk about it. On right, that. a little bit. Yes. Well, David Carradine is in this. He's a star plus Barbara Hershey. Barbara Hershey. Yeah. And um, I guess oh, both who went on went on to be in Last Scorsese films. 
Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, because Barbara Hershey was Mary Magdalene, and, yeah. of course, David Carradine. Um, the movie, I, I don't remember that much. It's okay. It's not great. It's, it's yeah. what, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, he talks about the movie for two reasons. One that, all right, this is the first time I made a movie on a schedule, so that was really important. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was that when we, ha- we had to do all these train scenes really early in the morning, I guess some of it takes place on a train, and he talked about how... Uh, you know, like it, when we were in New York City, you know, we didn't, we didn't have mist. You know, we didn't know this thing called mist. If we saw mist, we thought there was a fire. Uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and I just love that story, like, because he also then relates it to, like, he talks about having a conversation with Steven Spielberg when he was making one of his movies, like Empire of the Sun. He asked him, so how did you do that shot with, like, the plane flying off in the morning? He's like, well, I saw the mist on the ground, and I knew that the sun was coming up. Mario's like, were you crazy? The mist? Are you crazy? I don't know what the mist is. I'm from the city. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I know which documentary that is. Is that the directors? Yes. Oh, wow. You're... An encore? <laughs> hey, man. Dude, you're I, way ahead of me. I was there that. every Thursday at 7 p.m. I would watch the directors. That's actually how I knew who Crazy was, watching that documentary. You watched a lot of those directors' things. Altman, yeah. Altman was there. Sidney Lamette was there. Uh, a bunch of guys. Kevin Smith was on it, too. He was on it like, towards the end. Yeah, uh, and then... You know how I first found out about Martin Scorsese? Hmm. From Animaniacs. Well, well, oh, the good, oh, the good feathers. All right, good feathers. Yeah, yeah, the good feathers. Well, of course, we, that's how statue, I first heard about the statue good of Martin Scorsese in the middle of the park. I don't remember seeing that. Oh, yeah, God. it I was. Go back now. I go back wow. And this was the thing that stunned me about when I finally saw Goodfellas. It wasn't until I was in college. Okay. And as soon as Ray Liotta says, as far back as I can remember. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you I'm open like, up every episode. That's exactly the way they said it in Good Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I well, I like, love the Good Feathers, but so I don't remember. It was so crazy how spot on it was every time because they oh, yeah. always start every Good Feathers cartoon with like as far back as, as I as far can back as I can remember. I always wanted to be on this perch, <laughs> and every single episode. Uh, the Joe Pesci Pesci like, hey, what funny? Like, what funny? How? What? Why my clown? And then he would right, get in a fight that, with him. That was the premise. It was the three <laughs> pigeons who were supposed to be like Robert that, De Niro, yeah. Ray really Liotta, is. and Joe Pesci from Good from Goodfellas. Yeah, and they even had the Robert De Niro pigeon. No, right. And I didn't even I didn't even know that yeah. that movie existed, yeah. or that's what that no, was supposed I, to be. I vaguely knew it existed, but I saw the cartoon years before. Yeah, uh, before and the that. God Pigeon is the Godfather, the Godfather. I also and there's one part um, where the where the statue of Scorsese like falls pigeon. apart, and they said they're trying to look for the new roost and the mar- and the and Bobby the big one. He says, "Yeah, there's a statue of Coppola down the street." <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Oh, I gotta go back and watch. This. Wow, that's pretty awesome. awesome. There was also another cartoon when I was a kid called The Critic. And there was a moment where Jay Sherman says, All right, I want to make a sequel to Goodfellas 2. And they just show a little clip where it's like Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, and Joe Pesci are staying around a car. They're like, Man, something really stinks. You got this body out here. And they open up the trunk and it's Jay Sherman. Hi, guys. <laughs> Mamma mia. And they close the trunk. <laughs> it's a little gag, but I remember I saw that too before I saw Goodfellas. I'm like, I want to see this yeah. Goodfellas movie now. I think I saw Mafia first. The, 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 <laughs> oh, the God. You saw it from the guys who made Hot Shots, right? Yeah, Mafia. Jim, Jim, Jim Abrams. Jim Abrams, yeah. Lloyd Bridges' last movie. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I saw that in the theater when it came out. 
And I was really excited for that, too. I had not seen The Godfather or Goodfather at that time. Mm. There you go. I saw The Godfather before I... Right. When I was in high school, at least. So Bonus at least Saturday. I was prepared that way. I saw The Godfather... I believe like, you know! Like <laughs> <laughs> I count English. One, two, Monday, Tuesday... <laughs> All right, guys, we got we got to refocus. Scorsese, we're, go, we're going off a tangent, a tangerine here. We're gonna. Shh. All right, I'll I'll have the podcast. You take the cannolis. Um, Wrong okay. movie reference. All right, all right. But um, how Main Streets get started is a great story, and I love to tell it. So is Main Streets his first big movie. It's the first time he is well. That's not if Fox you do Yes, it's his third film as a director. Before this, by the way, he also was an editor on. Uh, Woodstock, which he got fired right. from, if I remember really? correctly. In the conversation with Scorsese book, he talks about how he got fired from That's right. that movie. Yeah. He also got, like, people talk about, oh man, Scorsese, he has one of the great careers as a filmmaker. He's so incredible. He early on got fired from a movie. Have you ever heard of The Honeymoon Killers? No. Okay, it's this independent film that was about this uh, husband and wife who... They're kind of like, you know, when you see Bonnie and Clyde, you think, oh, man, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, they're the sexy couple who are out shooting and robbing banks and doing all this stuff. But The Honeymoon Killers is a movie about this couple who are killers, but they look like slobs. They're uh. kind of very unkempt. Um, and Scorsese was hired on this movie in, like, around 1970, I'm going to say, and he got fired after a week. Wow. <laughs> because he apparently was spending too much time filming inserts of objects and he was trying to be a perfectionist about it and the producers told him all right you, you can't do this you you need to leave you're you're <laughs> wasting up too much time and money trying to film a bowl perfectly <laughs> like i think that was the story he told about it yeah, or that i've heard yeah, yeah. and um and then they got some other director but that i think really shook him up and was why wow, that makes me feel Rod a lot better about myself <laughs> yeah well not to get too much into that yeah um well how mean streets get started though he shows boxcar bertha to john cassavetes and as the story goes it's kind of legend john cassavetes gives martin scorsese a hug and puts hands on his shoulder and says and they both disappear <laughs> they leap out they, they 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 go into the tardis and go back to the beginning of cinema so scorsese can really join melies and no all right he puts his hand on Scorsese's shoulder oh, yeah, and says, you Marty, you just spend a year of your life making a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, he, does, he didn't say it in a mean way. He was just saying as a friend. All right, look, you, all right, yeah, you got to work with these actors. That's fine. But what do you really want to do? What do you want to do with yourself? And Scorsese's like, well, I have What this... do you want from yourself? Yeah, what do you want to do with your life? <laughs> That's what Jim Casby does. And... Um, and Marty says, well, I have this script. And originally he called it Season of the Witch because he was a big fan of the Donovan song, I guess. Yeah. And he's like, and Cousin's like, good, go do that. <laughs> um, an interesting fact about Mean Streets, by the way, Corman originally offered Marty Scorsese you the called money. should have hurdy-gurdy, man. For a whole black yes, cast? Yes, Originally, Corman said, all right, you can do Mean Streets. I'll give you, like, $200,000. It has to be all black. That's right. Because mm -hmm. right now we're getting a lot of these black exploitation movies out there. This is really big, and 
That's actually not a terrible idea. Well, Scorsese said that he gave it a moment's thought. He, he thought, well, it. maybe I could, but he's like, no, no, it won't work. It might, it probably wouldn't have been authentic. He would have, he would have had to change a lot. Like, he could have still had the characters of Charlie and Johnny Boy. Right. But the Catholic stuff wouldn't have worked as well. No. Because it would have, you know, that was very much a part of that Little Italy, Lower East Side, or Lower West Side New York. Right. Um, You're right, East. Or something like that. Well, you know, he always brings up to, all right, and this is where I grew up, and this is where my mother lived, and my mother's mother, and all this stuff. Like, I've always been tempted, and I haven't quite done it just because I I, I always lose focus when I'm in that area, but I've always thought about, I should go down to Elizabeth Street and find where Scorsese actually lived. And, uh, and yeah, well, no, I mean, normally I don't like to do selfies or whatever they're called, but I would take a selfie of myself in front of Scorsese's place. You can't take a selfie of anyone else, Jack. That's redundant. (laughs) But, um, I'm going to take a selfie of you. So, but anyway, so he makes Mean Streets. Uh, it, it doesn't become a huge hit. I think that, um... I don't know, it just kind of fell through the cracks, financially okay. speaking. Yeah, but the critics wrong. really took note of it. Uh, you know, like Pauline Kale was like, this is the freshest voice in American movies right now. Um, it was because of Mean Streets that De Niro <laughs> got The Godfather 2. Um, what, what, uh, freshest voice, what was that, funny? <laughs> it's, well, no, you said Pauline Kale, and I thought about the documentary of Eber. You know, I don't know if Pauline Kale... Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to go on Kale, but, but fuck, fuck Pauline Kale. Kale. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, she's just mean, man. She's mean. She's very clever, but yeah, very mean. Yeah. I like. I actually read a quote from Gregory Peck the other day. Speaking of Gregory Peck again, Can you do his, his accent she he <laughs> talked about how he went to the same college as her, and he knew girls like her, oh. and how they were these kind of girls who I'm saying girls, women who they were the would, kind of girls. Who, yeah, they were the kind <laughs> of women who would take these English classes and. Try to get all A's, but they were trying to be much smarter than they were. Now I'm now I'm jumping into Alan Rickman. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> okay. All, all right. right. Nice so try. he does Mean Streets. Then Alice doesn't live here anymore. Have you ever heard of this movie? I've heard of that. Alan Burstyn won the Oscar for this movie. The sequel to Alice in Wonderland. No. no uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense though, right? Yeah. Alice in Wonderland, the movie about. Her parents being worried as fuck while Alice is off in Wonderland, and they send out the search party, and it becomes like uh, the movie Prisoners. <laughs> Holy crap! They find them buried in the hole. Yeah. That would be a great story to do, like the the version of Alice in Wonderland from the parent side, where it's a tragedy. <laughs> Oh man! The reimagining. There you go. Tim Burton with the rest. No. We'll just uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll put them as a a two companion. Just. Okay. Yeah. So this is basically <laughs> a small movie about a woman who loses her husband and she has to find her new way with her son. Um, and there's some really good acting in this movie. I haven't seen this movie in a little while. Uh, it's notable in a way for me because in his next movie, Taxi Driver. There's this moment in a there's a scene where Chris Christopherson is brought up. Yeah, the record. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like when I remember I when I when I saw Taxi Driver after seeing Alice in Wonderland, where I'm like, oh, they're doing kind of an in joke. Yeah, because he was in. Alice yeah, Alice yeah, exactly. Oh, right. Yeah, he was like the male yeah, love picked, interest. And Keitel too. He picked, oh yeah, Harvey he tries to pick up Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, like, Harvey Keitel's in the movie. Jodie Foster's in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. She has a small role in it. 
Um, Who plays the waitress? This is her friend. Uh, Ooh, is good it, question. Is it Cloris Leachman? No, that's, that's the no, last picture no. show. No, no, you're thinking of... The uh, last picture show, yeah. Yeah, God. Oh, Doesn't man. Doesn't Bridges get with her or something? Were you about to say Burgess Meredith? Bridges, no. <laughs> one, 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 I Bridges. I think both of them are, in, them, both of them are in that movie. <laughs> and Timothy Bowden. Um, right? Let's see here. Well, I Andrew, could look it up really quick. I haven't seen all of them. Val, maybe her name is like Valor... Oh, Diane Ladd. Diane Ladd. Who's Diane the mother Ladd. of Thank you. Uh, Laura Dern. There you and, go. And hooked up with Bruce Dern. Yes, Bruce Dern. Yeah. You know, uh, that whole group. Laura Dern was conceived on the set of... Uh, the Wild Angels. Of the Wild Angels. Really? Yes, yeah. Bruce Dern and Diane Ladd were in the same movie, and well, they, they got to bone in during the in-between takes. Of and, course. <laughs> wow, Jack, and, you're a real poet. And <laughs> Laura Dern's first movie was Foxes with Jodie Foster. Directed wow. by... That's why we brought you. <laughs> directed by Adrian Lyne. <laughs> Attraction. Good, good call, man. I I did not look that up, yeah. but uh, I mean I know Joey. Fo- I actually have foxes. I've never. I should watch. It's that Adrian movie. Lyons' movie. Like his, yeah, it's his first movie his too. His first American. Not to be there? confused with Foxfire or Firefox or Foxcatcher, Catcher or right, cro- or Crossfire, because you can get caught up in the Crossfire. Crossfire. <laughs> crossfire. Crossfire. Yeah, oh, man. Oh. Is that still on? That that game still sold? In I think it still exists. Toys R Us? But we're getting off topic. Yes. Oh! So, um... <laughs> what about a tangent? Alright. The movie that now uh, makes Th- this Martin Scorsese... This segment is going to be called <laughs> Tangents and Martin Scorsese. Well, well, I I, I love tangents. What, what, give, me, give me more tangents, please. Martin Scorsese, have you ever played Crossfire? <laughs> what, the, what the hell? That would be a video, an internet video. Martin Scorsese would be like... I, 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 can't figure out this but game. in 1976, go ahead. All right, 1976 is ahead. when this is the <laughs> year when Scorsese really gets it good because two things happen. One, he puts out Taxi Driver, which is a movie that starts out from a script from Paul Schrader, right? And he wrote the script in like seven days. With legend goes that he like wrote it while he had a gun on the same table, right? I guess because he either maybe he was. Feeling really suicidal or really crappy or something. Just at the like time. Travis, I think. Yeah, he was in a really bad state of mind at the time. I think he went through a divorce. Also. Yeah, and um. The F5 fired him. The F5. Yeah, he was like he had nothing. He I think the legend goes too. He spent three weeks without talking to anybody. It was that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. where you're so lonely and alone that you just aren't talking right. to anybody. Period. He would go to porno houses just like yeah. Travis. Yeah. Well, at the same time, uh, huh. this is following uh, George Wallace got shot. Oh, yeah. And the guy who uh, shot him actually kept journals. And those journals were also used as inspiration for Travis Bickle. So a lot of the narration that you hear, a lot of his writing the journal and stuff, that comes from that. And I think also this movie called Diary of a Country Priest, too. And the song um, Taxi, I believe. The song Taxi, which I haven't heard. Yeah, I haven't heard that song either. But the point is, though, Taxi Driver is phenomenal. And I've seen Taxi Driver more times than I can count. Good, then you made up for me. <laughs> you ever seen it? I've never seen Taxi Driver. What? Why uh, is he here? Yeah, why is Andrew <laughs> here? This is why you're here. <laughs> uh, Jack mean, didn't put it on my list. Oh, no. I'll put it on your next list. I don't know why <laughs> I didn't do guy? that. I put it on Mean Streets instead of Taxi Driver. That's so weird. Yeah. Jeez, I'm a Why jerk. are you terrible? I don't know. I'll figure out next year. Yeah, well. um, the Taxi Driver, what can be said about it? It's the one of the iconic movies of just 
all time. And, a real character study. You really yeah. like are seeing the movie through his eyes and through his perspective. That seems to be Scorsese's strong suit. Which is why the movie begins with his eyes. Yeah, it begins with his eyes, yeah. and he's watching people from the street. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, it, uh, here's the thing. Characters seem to be Scorsese's strong suit. I mean, yeah. Mean Streets is essentially a character piece. Yeah. Uh, you have Taxi Driver. And in essence, Goodfellas doesn't necessarily have a plot. It does it's, have it a, has It has a rather episodic. weak plot, but it's more about the characters than it is about uh, a continuous story. Yeah. Eventually it does come to a head, but kind of a, kind of a weak head at that. There's no, there's no grand confrontation or anything. And, uh, well, I think that the idea in Goodfellas is more that they're kind of trying to subvert that a little bit. Like, in the narration Goodfellas, Henry Hill says, uh, you know, when when you know that you're going to get whacked, nobody says, I'm going to kill you and does it. You know, people still come up to you like they're your friend, and they sit down and talk and have a conversation and stuff with you. Right. So, um, right. But yeah, Taxi Driver, I, you know, I, I still... Roughly for me, it's a re- it's a weird toss up because with that and Raging Bull, you know, people will often say Raging right. Bull is Scorsese's best movie. Yeah. And I don't know, man. Like Taxi Driver, I feel so strong that it's it's a tough call. It's like yeah. it's like choosing between you know, if you look at the Beatles, do you choose between uh, you know the the White Album or you know Sgt. Pepper? White Album. Okay. Good for you. Um, I would say they're an equal plane, I think. A little bit, yeah. I mean, similar movies where, in the sense that they're both about really tough characters. Yeah. Right. Uh, you can't, you don't really like them. You, you're just, no, you're, but you're, and yet you're there yeah, with you're them. Yeah, you're there. You, you can't pull away from them. Like, this is not the kind of thing where, it dances a really tough line because they don't make them very sympathetic, but they don't make it to the point of, uh... Yeah, sometimes uh, Lars von Trier has this problem where he makes movie characters that are so repugnant yeah. that you just are like, right, no, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to ever watch this again. Uh, <laughs> damn, dancer in the dark. Damn you, Antichrist. <laughs> Get away from me, Antichrist. And you're <laughs> talking foxes. Oh, um, but also in 76, he does two other things. He makes a documentary called American Boy. Yeah, with, uh, with, Stephen, with Prince. Stephen Prince, yeah. who was Neil Diamond's... Uh, manager and this is a movie which is significant in a number of ways and it's basically a half hour documentary where martin scorsese is interviewing this guy who has all these crazy stories one of these stories ends up getting recreated for pulp fiction oh yeah in the scene where uh, mia wallace is brought back with the needle to her heart right it's basically done exactly how this guy tells it in the story down to try having to use a magic marker to revive somebody, <laughs> to make a point on somebody's chest. Aim for that point. Yeah. yeah. Um, in <laughs> fact, and there's a documentary on YouTube, not a documentary, but there's a video on YouTube where somebody did a supercut showing Stephen Prince telling the story and showing the clips from Pulp Fiction nice. with the you know, stabbing motion like this. So I, I, I got to stab it three times. <laughs> no, 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 no,
You, you can't Mr. go in a restaurant. It's, it's legal, but it ain't 100% legal, Alan Rickman. <laughs> <laughs> this is fascinating. Tell me more. Do, about... do, you, do, do you know what they call uh, Royale cheese uh, in Paris? Oh, that's great, man. No. <laughs> no they, they don't have Royale cheese where you, where you come from. We're going on a tangent. Uh, I know. Uh, but it's so much fun. Tangents, okay. Part two. So, American Boy. <laughs> all right. He does American Boy and he shoots the last he shoots the last concert by the band, which becomes the movie The Last Waltz. The Last Waltz. Right. Uh, and they tell the story about the strip club owned by Jack Ruby and the one-armed dancer. <laughs> what? <laughs> now you see. Now you're just making us get on a tangent by saying that. Ruby was a bad guy. What? He worked for the mob. It's all I remember from. It's all I remember from that movie. The Last Waltz. Yeah. I. Oh Matt wait Rose, a minute. Oh. Matt Rosen w- w- watched that yeah. movie and I was like doing whatever on my computer. And that was the only story I remember. Them yeah, telling. they do have a story about Jack Ruby. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that is relevant. Apology accepted. Okay, Jack. but you need to see the Last Waltz because I know you like classic rock. It's on Netflix. And this is one of the. Right. Oh, is it? Cool. it is, yeah. It's one of the essential classic rock movies. Uh, like Bob Dylan shows up. Eric Clapton. Uh, uh, oh, what's Van his name? Morrison. Yeah, Van. Wow, you get out of my head. That's what I was thinking of. Um, yeah, so really good movie. I was really expecting you to say Tony Morrison. Yeah, and then uh, Scorsese gets into Coke. That's he gets right. into Coke in a big way. Can we talk about that for a while? Yeah. Sure. Well, he does then New York, New York, oh, and yeah. um, and that's when he's really on a lot of Coke, and he's like, okay, I'm going to make a film noir yeah. musical. Well, that's one of his movies that flopped. You though, had it right here. Right? On, just, yeah. I just saw it. Yeah. He, uh, well, the thing about that movie, it's Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli. And he described it as a film noir musical. Yeah. It's about this couple who basically don't get along through most of the of the movie, um, and and yet it's it's he calls it a musical, and there is a big musical number in it for that happy endings. But at the same time, it's not a musical in the sense of characters suddenly breaking out in the spontaneous song. Right. Uh, like even less than singing in the rain, I'd say. Yeah, it's not like happy go lucky chippy, you know. No, it's, it's more beat. jazzy. Yeah, it's actually right. from this movie that the that New York New York song yeah. comes from too. He right. starts dating, town. Her, by the way. Yeah, start spreading the news. He starts dating Liza Minnelli for a while. Having a well, yeah. Well, I, the thing that I actually didn't know until today, though, apparently. Scorsese and De Niro were dating Liza Minnelli at different points during the making of New York, New York. <laughs> that I did not know. Yeah, well, no, I knew about the weird thing with Scorsese is he he has a he or not not anymore because he's been married for a long time, but he had a thing for dating daughters of famous directors because he dated Liza Minnelli, daughter of Vincent Minnelli. And then he was married for a while to Isabella Rossellini. That's right, yeah. The daughter of Rivera Rossellini. Well, then went on to date David Lynch. Did she date David Lynch? Okay. During the Blue Velvet yeah. days. I remember the weirdest thing. One of the first interviews I read with Scorsese was in sometime in the early 90s. And somebody, the interviewer asked him, so you have seen Blue Velvet? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen Blue Velvet. Did, aren't, are you all uncomfortable in her rape scene? He's like, eh, no. <laughs> it was one of the random things yeah. where you, 
You can almost feel like maybe he tensed up a little bit, yeah. but he had to say, nah, no. If you watch the Academy Awards of 1980, when De Niro wins for Jake LaMotta, right. she's sitting right next to... Liza Minnelli? No, um... Rossellini. Rossellini. Oh, okay, that's yeah, cool. That's right. So then that's the, cool. I put the two two together, of course. You know. yeah, 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 right. Um, and by the way, if you want to read a lot of really crazy, you know, unauthorized stories regarding Scorsese... The book and his Easy Rider Affair with Coke. Yeah. <laughs> Easy Riders Raging Bulls. Yeah, it's really is good. one of those books. Uh, it starts off at the start point is kind of Easy Rider, and then the end point is Raging Bull. Heaven's Gate's in there too. All right. A little bit, yeah. I remember. I should check that out. You should. I I think I have that book. Sure. I think you would find that very entertaining and informative. And there's two documentaries, uh, Easy Rider Raging I, Bulls, and then A Decade Under the Influence. Same same thing, but they're I, pretty much the same. Yeah. I think Easy Riders Raging Bulls is supposed to be closer to the book, right. but A Decade Under the Influence covers more filmmakers that aren't in that book. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, Easy Riders Raging Bulls is more about the notorious sides of yeah, yeah, the yeah. critics. Like there are stories about how. He would have like massive breakups with girlfriends, and the girl would be driving away, and he'd run after the car <laughs> naked. Wow! I yeah. did not know about that. There's something about the one like I that. heard was that he left his then wife and, and his daughter to go move to Hollywood to come and make it as a filmmaker. Oh, well, I did sort of know about that. Yeah, he was he was married and had a kid in the '60s. Right, exactly. And he left them behind. So he's one of these people who. Um, he his last child was born in like ninety nine, so right. he has children ranging from like sixty five to yeah. ninety nine. Yeah. And then during the making of uh, Taxi Driver, he was dating the photographer slash journalist Julie Cameron. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right, and that's right. That yeah. was a tough shoot because they were all high on. I think Keitel was high on something, and they were all <laughs> yeah. Just oh, by the way, that's the other thing. Harvey Keitel is in Taxi Driver, and the cool thing about that is the character that he plays was originally meant. For a black guy, oh, yeah. like Schrader's script was a bit more racist than the movie even is. Uh, but Harvey Keitel said, "Let me try this role. I want to yeah. maybe take this on." And what he does with that character is actually kind of funny. Hey, Officer, <laughs> I'm clean, man. Look at me. I'm, I'm What's his fine. Name? Chief, I think his name is. He, he looks like an Indian, like chief. Yeah. <laughs> hey, come on, go back to your fucking tribe. Put him off of me, pal. That's funny. You don't look hip. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't no cop, man. We're, we're doing quotes that you have no idea what we're doing. She'll make, she'll make you fucking blow all, all I'm thinking thing. about oh, now, All I'm thinking about now is that joke that Seth MacFarlane told during the Oscars. Yes, uh, uh, Warren Beatty's here. He remembers when Hollywood used to be cocaine trees, as far as the eye can see. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny, yeah. All right, so ultimately yeah. then Scorsese gets strung out. He finds himself in the hospital and De Niro is the one who is telling him, do Raging Bull, do Raging Bull, I want to do Raging Bull, I'm Jake LaMotta, I am Jake LaMotta, do this. And finally, he's in the hospital, and De Niro tells him one last time, alright, come on, you gotta do Raging Bull now. he's like, okay, okay. Yeah, and I think it was because he had like a big blowout from drugs, yeah. and he got really sick from it. Yeah, hit uh, that with asthma, and make sure... That yeah, yeah, asthma with coke, not a good no. combination. Um, but he rose up from it, and then created one of the great movies, because Raging Bull, what can you say about it? It's a movie that, it's it, even though it's black and white, there's a little bit of a, because it's black and white, there's a bit of a timeless quality to it. Right. Um, the music in it is very operatic. He uses Needle Drop again, but like in a lot of other of his movies, he mixes a lot of opera and classical music, 
the thing that's hard to forget is the opening with on the opening credits, right. where it's just Small Robert De Niro shows. in the ring, and it's the opera... Uh, Rusticana? Rusticana, yeah, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Um, and that movie, it's interesting, because it's a very dark movie, very harrowing at times, but there are also some parts that are kind of funny, because uh, De Niro and Pesci are brothers, and uh, Jake LaMotta is is kind of a lunkhead, and in a way, Joe Pesci kind of is playing the Charlie role that, you right. know, he had in Mean Streets. Right, right, right. Um, you know, because tra- I mean, Joe Pesci's kind of his manager. He's the one who's trying to tell him, look, look, stop eating. You have to get ready for the fight. Look at you, you fat bastard. And he tries <laughs> to use street language. But there's a lot of funny parts. Like, there's a scene where De Niro wants to prove a point to Joe Pesci because he thinks, you know, I'm so, you know, I'm never going to be able to fight Joe Lewis. I'm never going to be the best there is. Right. And Joe Pesci's like, you know, why, why even think about that sort of thing? And Jake Lamont tells him, all right, I want you to hit me in the face. <laughs> and he keeps egging him on, hit me in the face, hit me in the face. And finally, Joe, his brother starts hitting De Niro in the face. And it's kind of, I find it kind of funny in a very dark way. <laughs> it's, um... Look at you bleeding. Hit yeah. Again. Ah, your cuts are open and everything. What are you trying to prove? What does it prove? And he just kind of stares at him for a second and then pinches his cheek. <laughs> um, and is Raging Bull another one you need to watch? You haven't seen oh. One day we'll do a double feature and watch Taxi Driver and Raging Bull together. Have you ever seen Jim Brewer do the Joe Pesci show on SNL? No. They, ref- they reference <laughs> Raging Bull. I remember that. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, good callback. All right. um, and so he makes Raging Bull. The, the, uh, the famous story I always love from that is that he shows the movie to the United Artists executives and he doesn't know what to think. He's been working on this movie for two years. Yeah. De Niro famously, you know, gets fit to play a boxer and then goes off and eats like a pig for six months <laughs> and comes back and is like 100 pounds heavier. And maybe not that much, but he's a lot heavier to play yeah. Jake LaMotta as an older man. I think it was a fake nose, I think, right? It was he a- had a little bit of a fake nose, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so all this time spent on it and all this yeah. intensity... And this United Arts executive gets up at the end of the movie. He comes over to Scorsese and says, you are a true artist. And he walks away. And I just love that story. That he spent all this time and it's like... He walks away and he goes to the janitor. Well, well, the great story is that... And then walks away. Well, the story... There are a couple of stories that come up in that book Final Cut, which I talked about in a previous podcast, where there's also a meeting with United Arts executives where one of the... People says that, you know, De Niro's usually quiet in these meetings. Scorsese has to be the one to talk up stuff. Right. And one of the United States says, w- w- why are we doing this movie? That's right. This yeah. guy, Jake LaMotta, is a cockroach. He used that words. And De Niro's like, no, no, this guy's not a cockroach. This guy is not a cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Pretty much. Um, I just love that story. So he does Raging Bull. It does fairly well. It gets... Robert De Niro the Oscar, but not Scorsese damn because it, of Redford. God damn you, Robert Redford, and your wholesome American looks. Ordinary People won Best yeah. Picture and Best Director that year. That Which year. I hear is not a bad movie, but... Come on, it's Raging Bull. It's not, it's not, it was on the other night. It's not bad, but it's... It's like the hours. It's okay. It's like a bottle of Saulbrook Chardonnay, you know. Have you ever drink Chardonnay? No, well, man, it's, it's decent. We're going but it's like magic. it's like when uh, it's like when Mulholland Drive lost to A Beautiful Mind. 
Ka- well, yeah, that that I expected uh, though. Yeah. That that more, you know, it wasn't nominated for anything. Or else. when Crash won. Th- that was kind of just let's acknowledge that David Lynch made a great movie here, and that's it. By nominating him, that's all we're doing. I mean, yeah. if they had balls, they would give him best director, but he already won at Cannes that year, so. And then uh, 1990 would be the same thing again. Again, but that time even worse because that's Kevin Costner. Another actor director, <laughs> just like Redford. Uh, Oh, yeah, no. I'm I gonna am. make a serious movie where I'm in the wilderness with Indians and called will, Dances with Wolves. And they will call me with a fa- serious face on, because I'm Kevin Costner, and I'm gonna do the. <laughs> Three then I'm gonna do the Postman, where it's the future, and there are no, <laughs> there are no more. Postman, I guess. So I'm a postman. Then <laughs> <laughs> Waterworld. Well, before that, before I that. I still gotta watch the Walk in the Basement of Waterworld, but anyway. We're going off the tent. All right, the King of Comedy, which again, you still need yeah. to see that too. Um, the int- the crazy thing about that movie, Scorsese says that was maybe the most miserable experience he had making a movie. Wow. Yeah, he said that he was. I don't know if he was still on drugs then, or if he was just struggling in a marriage. Or something. The movie also flopped yeah. really bad. It made maybe like a million dollars. They should have released the um, wide. Yeah. 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 I like wonder. Jerry Lewis was there. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Bernhardt. Jerry Lewis in serious mode. Yeah. Like, Jerry Lewis is the straight guy through the whole movie. Because, <laughs> well, what happens is um, De Niro is this really desperate comedian. Rupert or would be comedian. He basically does all of his routines in his mother's basement. And has cardboard cutouts of celebrities who he talks to as if he's on a talk show circuit. Um, I mean, I'm sure you know Romney, the famous singer, is like, yeah! Yeah! And I can't do six months. I can't do yeah, it. Don't it, you know I can't even do six weeks? Yeah, Ma, and, shut up! Yeah, and his mother keeps talking to him <laughs> as actually... he's playing out these scenes. Yeah, and it's Scorsese's Maybe mother, not, yeah. who pops up a lot in the movies. Um... And, uh, yeah, King of Comedy, I think, is a movie that has held up really well over time. And it's kind of, it's a movie that got deeper for me. Like, I saw it when I was in high school, and I thought it was a really terrific movie. But then I saw it again several a few years back, and I was like, wow. Yeah. They really called on uh, what it means, like, for desperate celebrity in this culture. Like, this movie is kind of prescient when yeah. it came to... How yeah. people who come on TV will try anything to, you know, become famous. Well, I mean, even back then there were people who were who were desperate for fame and sometimes would take it any way they could. Yeah. I mean, nowadays we just have more extreme versions of that. Yeah, more can, reality where TV. Where you can produce yourself more or less mm-hmm. on the internet. But it's yeah. uh, I uh, and also it's about d- being true to life. Yeah, very, very, very awkward movie in yeah. some ways because there are scenes where De Niro, like his character Rupert Pupkin, will go to Jerry Lewis. He plays this guy Jerry Langford, who's a talk show host, and Rupert Pupkin keeps going to his office to try to give him his audition tape, <laughs> and he's like, "I'm sorry, Jerry Langford's not here." And Rupert comes like, "Okay, I'll wait," and he just sits in the waiting room, <laughs> and you're just like, "Oh." I'm sorry, oh, are you God. speaking for Jerry? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that, yeah. Uh, I'm like, you uh, know him, man. <laughs> um, yeah, and the scene where he goes to Jerry Langford's house. Uh, oh, it's so uncomfortable. You know, uh, I can have you two arrested. <laughs> uh, well, of course you could. I mean, you know, we're here in your house and you didn't know we're here. <laughs> we 
should have a sketch, a bit where you invite people over to their house and then throw them all in jail. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and Jerry Lewis is great in that movie, yeah. man. Like, I'm not even that big a Jerry Lewis fan, but somehow that casting was just... Having him be dead serious like that. All right, so I made a mistake. So did Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great quote. Uh, yeah, movie. and it feel it's weird because back to back, and not intentionally, because he was also trying to get Last Temptation of Christ off oh, the ground in the early '80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he that actually, one I've seen. well, okay. well, we're gonna get to that because he was originally trying to make that in the early '80s. Aiden Quinn was his original choice actually, to play Christ. De Niro Christ. was the first guy. No, 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 it wasn't. He it he quit. went to De Niro. In in case of like emergency, oh, okay, he okay. was kind of like his actor in a glass Can you case. That? Yeah. Well, no, no. Originally, it was I'm Aiden Jesus. Quinn. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm Jesus. Yeah. Uh, no, no. I read that he, <laughs> he like, he asked De Niro, "Look, I don't want, like, honestly, I don't want you to do this role, but would you do it if the studio makes me?" And De Niro's like, "Okay, oh, that's okay. fine." I thought it was so that was what happened. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. What that that did happen on Gangs in New York, though. Originally, I think De Niro was supposed to play Bill the Butcher, okay. and then something must have—I don't know what happened—but they didn't. The well, casting didn't work out. Oh darn! And then they I got Daniel Day Lewis. I guess we have to take Daniel. Oh Lewis. God, we couldn't get De Niro, so now we'll get Daniel Day Lewis. What? A, uh, what a loss! Whoopsie Daisy! Whoopsie Daisy! All right, yeah. all right. So then he makes After Hours, which again now. I love so you, After Hours. I, lo- I think that's a terrific movie. It it's so oh, dark. Yes. It's so Kiki. Uh, cringy. Kiki. Over here, Kiki. They're trying to rob you. Cheech and Chong are in this movie for some reason. Yes. Yeah, Cheech and Chong are in the movie. Uh, hey, he looks like Linda uh, Fiorentino. He looks like that painting painted by that uh, a guy. Uh, <laughs> when he's all covered in plaster. And- oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. The way that they, it's all, it all comes down to a bagel uh, with cream cheese paperweight. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking like, for a bagel of plaster, please. Uh, uh, paperweight? Yeah. A plaster of Paris bagel. Now I cough it up. <laughs> it's, here's the thing I love about After Hours. It's, it's okay. Because it's, it, it begins ostensibly from nothing. He goes to, he, he goes to. He meets to, this girl. Yeah, he meets this girl and goes to. To you know, to hook up with her, Soho, yeah, right, and for 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 various reasons, it doesn't happen, but everything just snowballs out of these yeah. innocent circumstances. All these weird characters who right. they're all blonde uh, women for some reason. They're all blonde. Yeah, and then yeah. drama is happening around him, and yet somehow he's blamed for it. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, Terry Gar. What's his name? Yeah, somebody actually like uh, dies. I think. Off screen, if Rosa- I... Rosanna Arquette dies, and also he looks across the window and sees some hu- some wife shoot her husband. Yes, that, yeah. yeah, that's towards the end. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get blamed for that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just love. Yeah, that. it's it's basically Kafka meets uh, like Seinfeld, it's right? Hitchcock or something like and that. Wells, obviously, but he he called it his his comedy, uh, his Hitchcock parody. He called it. Yeah, with, did he? With the camera angles and the lighting, it's almost like yeah, uh, the wrong man by Hitchcock. Yeah, the wrong man. Or yeah, the, or for the sure. third man by. Orson but, I, but I also yeah, love Griffin the third man. Dunn. I'm sorry, the, Griffin Dunn. He's right. really good because in the movie. He, uh, the the one thing that sticks out is he's telling the story of when he was a kid in the hospital as he's giving Rosanna Arquette. Yeah, 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 right, you're right. And he's like, I was in the burn ward, and so they they put a blindfold on me so I wouldn't have to see. And the way he talks, he has this great voice. Right. And he's just explaining this thing, and, and you know, she falls asleep. And but <laughs> the story ends right there. Right. right. And uh, it's just. 
he he's not completely innocent, but he's a very likable person. Yeah. Yeah. But and but the and the way things kind of fall on him. Yeah. It's kind of you understand how it happens, but it's still completely absurd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to wonder watching this movie if Scorsese he did the movie in part because he really could relate to that guy. Exactly. Like because yeah. he went through a lot of stuff in his career where yeah he turned out a lot a lot of these great movies, but. He put up with a lot of stuff with uh, the critics and uh, with trying to get his movies made, and you know that I think like he said that he took After Hours because Last Temptation of Christ fell fell out, right? And he thought, oh God, what the hell is my career gonna do with? And the guy who wrote After Hours was a college student. Huh. He wrote it as like his final script for class or something. Thesis, I think. Yeah, and it somehow man. got to these producers, and then Scorsese's like. Oh yeah, no, no. You know what? I'll do this instead. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of like a one-off because he never really does another comedy like that. But it's still um, re- yes and no. Wolf of Wall Street, I think, uh, was his return to comedy. Is is Wolf of Wall Street a comedy? In a lot of ways, yeah. I mean, oh, here's here's what I would look at with what Wolf of Wall Street. It's the darkest of comedies, or it's like the most hilariously bizarre drama ever. Uh, but After Hours is a pretty straightforward comedy. Um, it's a little dark, yeah. but it's yeah. but it's still it is at its at its core a comedy. Uh, I think Wolf of Wall, well Wolf of Wall Street. It um well let me, well, let me put it this way: if we follow the Golden Globes, uh, they gave Best Comedy Actor to Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, oh yeah. So right. well, I I, Le- Wolf of Wall president. Street is a very funny movie. Uh, let me put like. After Hours, would you say that's a satire? Of satire anything? of what? I don't know, of like the Lower East Side at the time, or like the village? Or of the time. Yeah, because like, it made fun of a lot of like those artsy, fartsy people yeah. who had like, you know, lofts, and then punk rock. Well, that scene where he gets into the club, and they buzz his head. Kiki, Kiki, she's dead! Oh, by the way, a side note, Scorsese plays the guy who operates the, uh, um, the light. The, the light. In the club, oh, and the spotlight, the spotlight. yeah, the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. I but yeah, I mean, that's basically the comedy taking taking advantage of its setting. Okay, I mean, it takes place in an art in a community of artists at a certain time. I mean, it certainly belongs to its time and of its setting, so it's very authentic. Yeah. I don't think it's a satire of those things, though. Okay, uh, the artists and and the performers who are the characters they do funny things. Yeah. Okay, I but it's it's great to get back to my original point. I, he d- he decides to do a comedy, and it ends up being a really good comedy. Yeah, it's not it is. like it doesn't end up being a disaster like a lot of other directors. Nineteen forty one ring a bell. Yeah, well, I kind of like nineteen forty one. So uh, it's it slowly, slowly, uh, you know, it, it could use a drink. No, I still like it, way too long. No, it, it is uh, way too long. 1941's a mess. It's stylish. There are some good parts yeah, to it. It's stylish. I like the lighting. I like the the music. The, the I, I'll give it another chance one like. day though, because I I watched it on like when Matt Rosen had like he had a little TV in his dorm uh, really that's early when on. I saw it. It grows. Oh, on you me. saw it with me. Okay. We, Matt and I were roommates. It, it grows you, on me. I remember. I remember these. <laughs> Am I dying? <laughs> I'm dying always, but Andrew. It's slowly growing up, growing on me because I like Spielberg, but that that movie could have been shorter. Like you're right. Right. We don't need all those well shootings and bombings in the roofs of, of downtown LA. We don't need all of that. You know? Yeah. All right. So last thoughts on After Hours. I I love After Hours. Me too. I I, I do too. It's a it, I. Really should watch it again. It really 
Okay. Very stylish, you know, all the angles, all the the, the lighting, the the music, the performance. A lot of paranoia yeah, in that movie, though. Right. It's weird. It's Justified like even though it's paranoia. even though it's here's what I'd say. It's a comedy, but I feel like there are a lot of serious moments in it. Yeah, I don't know. There are moments where it teeters on the edge. Like, what's his name? Is his name John Hurd? John Hurd, the bartender. Yeah, the yeah. bartender. He finds out that his uh, girlfriend or his wife killed himself. And that's a moment where it's kind of funny, and he slams the bar, uh, hand on the bar, and Griffin Dunn is kind of just standing there like, please, what please. do I do here? It's kind of like that scene in The Host, where like the family is mourning because the daughter they think is dead, and they all yeah. kind of fall down on the ground, and they're writhing. Yeah. Um, and then he, um, then he continues to try to do something commercially, makes The Color of Money. Which he, is a right. sequel to the hustler. Uh, the hustler. Which he did right. for the money, basically. <laughs> he did it for the money. So everything comes full circle. <laughs> and Gene Siskel got mad at me when they when I did Color of Money. Mm. They said, "We're not going to accept that from you." <laughs> well, is that yeah. strange to have a critic tell you they're not going to accept? No, he was he he, he knew me. Mm. He knew me. He knew me. Others, I think, had their own way of what cinema is. They had their own approach to what cinema is. The tourist thing was very, the tourist idea was very important to us because it made us find beauty in films that were considered, um, smugly considered beneath, mm -hmm. uh, beneath uh, foreign films or beneath uh, serious filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting, as an American, most of our cinema comes out of a commercial uh, system, and yet some beautiful works of art uh, mm -hmm. were created in that system, and you had filmmakers, uh, producer, directors, producers in the case of Selznick, and others uh, uh, making extraordinary films within a system, uh, particularly directors, I think, a lot of directors and writers. Yeah, yeah, well, I think he had a story that he told where a studio executive came up to him and was like, you know you can get paid for doing this? Oh, and Mike, he was, yeah, Mike Overt Mike told him, was... you can actually get paid to do this work. And he's like, really? Which okay, is, that's cool. Which is funny. Because, I mean, well, because... Really? Well, because among the filmmakers of his time, I mean, he 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 came up with De Palma, Coppola, Spielberg, Lucas, and they were all super successful by yeah. that point oh, yeah. in the '80s, and, or at least they had made their big hits. And well, Luke, it's also hard to get a lot of money when you spend most of it on coke. That that's true. Well, that and also, well, yeah. well, no, but also, but like his, the movies that he made weren't you know he didn't make a jaws he didn't make an apocalypse now certainly he was, didn't make a star wars no so he was more making these movies about people in the streets but then somebody told him all right you know what why don't you just streets? here like why don't you make a movie with paul newman uh, uh, and he's like okay yeah right. and uh an interesting turn the first time somebody like the second time somebody wins an oscar for acting in one of his movies is Paul Newman, Paul Newman for The right. Color of Money. Down on me, down on you, no See, I can't... I, this, this tangent's up to you, man. <laughs> Under pressure, The Color of Money, yeah. yeah. You know what's funny about that? That the people who produced that movie and hired him were the guys who Katzenberg and Ovitz and Eisner. Oh, okay. They were the guys who said no to The Last Station of Christ in, in 1982, mm. I believe. And, okay, and I forgot about that. Because they had, they, uh, I think it was Disney who was going to produce it for him. And then they left. I thought it was Paramount. Paramount. Yeah, right, pa Paramount. they were at Paramount originally, and, and then they yeah, left. Yeah, Last Temptation of Christ is like a really weird choice for Disney. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, no, not Disney. It was at Paramount. Paramount. Yeah. Well, they got, they no, had, they canceled the, weird. well, they canceled it because, the you know, they had heard about the, like, Christian groups had heard about the making of the movie. I read a book 
just about the making of Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, well, great. And uh, I could I could lend that to you sometime what, if you're interested. Called? It's called Hollywood. Uh, oh, I forget the name of it. Uh, it's sorry, I'm blanking on the title. But Do you it's, know the author's name? N- uh, no, I'll look it up. Really Do you know fast. the ISBN number? <laughs> I can look it up. I Do I know the home. publisher? Uh, um, <laughs> Random House. <laughs> Random House. <laughs> I doubt it's them. It's mm. The Last Temptation of Christ. Mm. The Last Temptation of Jeebus. Um, there was, no, no. There was a book uh, about it. But you're, yeah, you're right. It was Paramount. They canceled on him, and, they, and yeah, then... they canceled on him because he got uh, a lot of heat. They, right. He got a lot, like a lot of people. Oh, Hollywood Under Siege. Oh, okay. Thank you. Oh. Hollywood Under Siege. Martin Scorsese, The Religious Right, uh, and The Culture Wars. That Hollywood was the name of the book. Hollywood Under Siege. Sounds like an action Thank movie. Thank you. Yeah. Hollywood Under Siege, starring Bruce Willis. Yes. The cameo by okay. Steven So, Martin Scorsese <laughs> then finally real gets a deal where. After, right after he does the color of money, color of money is a big hit. It's his first really big hit. Like Taxi Driver made some money, but it wasn't a huge hit. No. The color of money make, makes a lot of money, and then they finally tell him, "All right, you know what? Why don't you try again and make uh, Last Temptation? I mean, you make it for less money, but try it again this it time eight, at Universal million, for seven or eight million. Eight million. And uh, then he gets Willem Dafoe to play Jesus. Jesus. What yeah, up? Jesus. Harvey <laughs> Keitel." Is the uh, interesting choice Judas. though to Judas. play Judas? He has like red hair. Yeah. He interesting enough. He kind of looks like Van Gogh when he like Scorsese would look like. Um, and what can you say about Last Temptation? I mean, we talked about that on a yeah. podcast a while back. I, I love the Last Temptation. I, I love that movie too. That movie, I love a movie about a religious guy who you you don't know for certain what is going on, like for sure. Like, a problem I had with The Passion of the Christ is that the point of view of the movie was very much specifically, yes, Jesus Christ is this real Messiah. There's no ambiguity. Who, there's no the ambiguity. Passion of the Christ. In Passion of the Christ, you know, you talked about how last Scorsese does... Last Yeah, Last Temptation of Christ. He does a lot of these character studies yeah. of people. That's what Last Temptation is. That's It's a study and of... And it's also about guilt. <laughs> A, a very much guilt. Once again, guilt. Very much guilt about if how... If Jesus feels guilt, then we're all screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I'm guilty for your sins. Uh, um, but, but but Jesus got gets a treatment that is so human in yeah. that movie. Yeah. He, which, he, I, in, I talked about the comparisons to other movies, and it's worth saying again, <laughs> every other Jesus in every other movie I've seen is... Basically two dimensional. Yeah, and and that's not that's always bad, but when but there's so many that are like that. Then when Passion of the Christ came along and I saw that, I was like, you know, whoosh, it was like watching it in 3D, and there was <laughs> and there was no other color film except he, for this one. He seriously deals with what Jesus was talking about and the whole concept of well, if Jesus Christ, if if God, if Jesus Christ is God and God is perfect and all knowing. Then how can he also be man who right. is very fallible? Right. That's, that's and the, that's the point of the novel it's based on. If, that G- too. if Christ is fully divine and fully human, well, why don't we talk about the human part for a little bit? Yes. Why don't we talk about what makes him a human being? What about his doubts? What about like the fact that these visions of God and he the, the hearing? It's like when a crazy person gets like electroshock. Like there's a point in that movie where he's just walking along, 
and God comes to him his brain and he falls over and contorts. Right. Oh, it's great. And, and then, then uh, Harry Dean Stanton has a great scene at the end. <laughs> yes, where he they kind of foresee how he he's kind of the portent of how Christianity is going to get yeah. twisted and perverted over time. Because well, isn't his character like one of the first preachers or something? He he plays Paul. Okay, yeah. And I didn't know it was supposed to be him when I first saw his character, but then yeah, they <laughs> they have a lot of strange casting in that movie. You know who's in that movie? Irvin Kirshner. The director? The director of The Empire Strikes Back. Um, Alright, there we go. Yeah, he's in one of... Uh, he plays one of these guys that's like listening to Jesus early on when yeah. he's telling one of his stories about being like a farmer. And you hear Irvin Kirshner's like this, look at this guy, another lunatic. And <laughs> yeah, that's Irvin Kirshner. Um, Andre Gregory plays a part. He's... Uh, What's his name? Who's the guy that's Rose? Is it Lazarus? Yeah. Yeah. When I, you know, um, and he David has a, Bowie is Pontius Pilate. Yeah. Um, One of his apostles is Victor Argo from Taxi Driver. <laughs> I actually read a story that Steve Buscemi was supposed to be one of the apostles, and Scorsese told him, "All right, look, if I could have." 13 apostles. You would be the 13th, but... You uh, would cast them all? Something that, yeah, I guess he'd cast them oh, all, or he God. had them all in mind. He's, and, Victor Argo is, right? He's the guy from uh, King of New York, the, the last cop to die in the train. When oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember him. Christopher Walken shoots him. No, I haven't He was a mobster that. in True Romance. Sorry. Uh, he was... I forgot about it. Uh, Andrew, I'm not going <laughs> to... All right, <laughs> um... I'm dealing with you tonight, Andrew. You and me got to hang out more often. Yeah. Stop, stop with the teaching thing. Why? What are you teaching? I mean... You're right! <laughs> he went fraud. to school for nothing, Romney! Nothing. Jeez. <laughs> it's like he went to the priesthood all that time. Alright, let's, 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 let's take it easy. Thanks, man. Um, so really briefly, then, he does Last Temptation, and that goes over well. Not. Ooh, yeah. see what you did there. <laughs> um, what's interesting about when... when the, the captivating thing about the release of that movie is Scorsese talks about how in interviews he still says, well, the movie wasn't totally finished, but we just had to get it out there. Oh, and I'm right. wondering, like, what? and yet, I don't know, I, I think what he means by that is he did finish the movie, like editing the movie, but he maybe needed a little bit more time with it. All right. But a lot really of... really polish it up. Yeah, but point. the problem was a lot of these critics were, and a lot of the hate, a lot of the Christian groups were coming to him and saying... Like, oh my god, you've made this piece of trash. And they hadn't seen the movie. What happened was, they took an earlier draft of the script, again, Paul Schrader had written. That's right. And yeah. he and they had changed a lot of the movie like in the intervening years. Like, this was from the early 80s, like one of the first drafts right. that they did. And so Scorsese's like, alright, the, the best defense and ex argument for the movie is the movie itself. Put it out there and see what happens. Right. And America, you know, there were some protests, there were things that happened. But I've heard that in other countries, like in certain European countries, like in Paris or something, or in a French theater, somebody actually let off a bomb. Holy crap. Like, there were people who were vehemently against this movie. And it mostly came down to, oh my god, Jesus is having sex with Mary. That's right, there was a sex scene in yes. there. That's right, I forgot and about that. I feel like the movie treated it in a way that is not... That's one of the things that is yeah. not ambiguous in right, the but movie. That, but that's the problem when you deal with fanaticism. People don't, people 
tend to make judgments without really exactly. ta- looking at at uh, very trudge- prejudgmental. So. Yeah, they actually told him go, go back and do a director's cut like Ridley Scott does all the time. You know, go back and do a re-release. And he's like, Nah, I'm done. I'm not doing that. Once See, it's out, Ridley Scott, take note. Yeah. <laughs> Once it's out, it's out. I'm not gonna go back and do a. Yeah, second I movie. I love that about him. He even did that with Wolf of Wall Street. Like he said, you know, there's probably another hour of material I could right. put in this movie, but wow, I'm gonna do it. So right. then he makes Goodfellas. Okay, next. Yeah, um, <laughs> I've already talked about Goodfellas so much. I mean, on it is podcast? so great. Oh, okay. Yeah, on the very first episode we did, I listed that as it's, one of my five of favorite films. Five. Yeah, I, um, I don't think I can add anything to it. Then it's it's a mo- it's the movie that I think people probably remember Scorsese for the most in yeah. a way. Even though it's, you could say that Taxi Driver and Raging Bull are better, right. but and I would say that that Goodfellas has defined Scorsese in popular culture. Yeah. yeah. It, and it's gained an estimation like every year that came out. Like, and this kind of pissed me off. Like, they decided to do a 25th anniversary screening at the end of the Tribeca Film Festival, and they didn't do it in a regular movie theater. Oh no, no, they couldn't do that. They do it in the Beacon Center in uh, New York City. They mm-hmm. do it in a giant theater that's meant for rock mu- for musical performances, and they charged prices accordingly as if it was a rock concert. Like well, the cheapest tickets were eighty bucks. I could I could buy a DVD for twenty bucks. I know. I I <laughs> I, I said to Corey, look, you know, Goodfellas could be my favorite movie of the past fifty years, right. and I love it to death. I'm not paying eighty fucking dollars to see that movie on a big oh, screen. Oh no, I, I wouldn't pay. $80 you you mooks. <laughs> I, I wouldn't pay eighty dollars to see oh. the Adventures of Robin Hood on in, in a concert in a concert hall. Or Robin Hood. And I love. Yeah, I, I, and I love the you could You could have the Rolling Stones playing... Oh, actually, you know what? I was about to say, you could have the Rolling Stones playing Gimme Shelter under the scene in Goodfellas where they're playing live with Goodfellas. And, and I was about to say I wouldn't see that, but no, I'd be curious. Yeah. <laughs> the way that they $80 do... $80 to see the Stones? Sure. Well, well, the way that they... You know what? I, I get it if, you know, like the Lord of the Rings last year or a couple years ago, they di- they played all three movies with Howard Shore conducting the orchestra. Oh well, yeah, that's like live. That's, that's See, that's bucks. different. That is amazing. Right. Like, you know, or, you know, or any Morricone was supposed to like a couple years back perform if I, in Brooklyn live. If I saw live. Ennio Morricone on the street, I would just give him 80 bucks. <laughs> hey, Faison, what's up? Hey man, uh you rock. Here's can, 80 can bucks. Can we do the Once Upon a Time in the West intro real quick? <laughs> Yeah. Or once upon a time, the harmonica. Yeah. Um, that... <laughs> yeah. Oh man, you know what'd be great is if all of a sudden any more Kone. I don't want this to happen, but Looks if any like more Kone got. Uh... No, he brought too too many. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if he. Imagine if any more Kone became like homeless, and all of a sudden you're walking down the street oh. and you just hear somebody playing the harmonica. Charles like, Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> You've really fallen on hard times since Death Wish. Um, They're all dead, right? Except for yeah. Cardinale. The only thing I want to add about Goodfellas is... Please. Did you ever see uh, My Blue Heaven with uh, Steve Martin? No. Well, did you see it? Uh, Rick, I never heard of this. My Blue Heaven, Rick Moranis, Steve Martin. Steve Martin plays a gangster, like an Italian wise guy from like the city, okay. who rats on his friends, just like Henry Hill, and they, they put him to a witness protection program with the FBI. Okay. And the agent that he's been assigned to is Rick Moranis, the square guy, you know, the... 
Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Honey, I the Kids. Okay. And he's a very square guy, and like the same geeky square, and yeah. he has to go live with Rick Moranis for until the transition papers and, you know, for his new ID, his new house. Right. Well, the, the thing is, it's a, it's a comedy mm-hmm. about the, the wise guy living with the FBI agent, and, you know, comedy ensues. Can like, they get along? Kind of like What About Bob, where he just annoys him, and, you know. Okay, but the, and the, the, is the, it like a parody of Goodfellas? Well, no, the, the joke is, or the, the connection between that and Goodfellas is that Goodfellas was written by Nick Pileggi. Nick, oh. Nick Pileggi's wife was Nora Ephron. Nora Ephron. Really? Yeah. Or one of his what? One of because Nora Ephron was actually married a couple of times, but that's uh, or, uh, you know here before there. she passed away, she was still okay. with uh, Nick Pelagi. Interesting. Um, and Nora Ephron wrote My Blue Heaven, and the connection is that the ending of Goodfellas is him turning over to the FBI, living in the suburbs, and he hates it. Yeah. So she thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny if the wise guy <laughs> lived with the FBI agent in, in the suburbs, and that's that's where My Blue Heaven comes from. Go so, out, rent it, and then you'll see the connection. With so your, it's in a way, it's a sequel to Goodfellas. In a way, yes. <laughs> with with uh, Steve, you heard Mar- that. Steve Martin in a suit and the the hair all greased up like a wise guy. Hey, what's up, Vinny? You know, because hmm. he's not Italian. So the joke, okay. the joke is that you know. Yeah, no, no. Of course, Steve Martin. Yeah, he, Steve that, Martin that's... as a wise guy is funny because he's not Italian. That's the joke. Yeah, I get it. And Rick Moranis as, as a, the square, you know. By the numbers guy living with this guy, you know, you know it's. Oh, Dana, it's you. Yeah, oh yeah. no, you're not Dana. You're a mobster. <laughs> you the gatekeeper. Yeah. I'm the key master. You're the gatekeeper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So then, the Goodfellas again, lost best picture. Damn you, Kevin Costner. Um, iconic movie. And then he gets an offer from uh, his buddy Steven Spielberg to do Cape Fear. Yeah, that's a and great movie. he at first. I think turned it down, and but then De Niro's like, no, no, look, I gotta do this. I gotta play Max Caddy. Max Caddy. Yeah. And um, counselor, come out. Yeah. Come out like of you course, are. and everybody knows Cape Fear if they haven't seen it because of The Simpsons. Yeah. Because Sideshow Bob, uh, basically does the uh, Sideshow Bob thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Bernard Herman, I believe. Yeah. 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 He <laughs> the breaks. <laughs> yeah, and then um, famous line, you know. Uh, oh no, that's, a, that's not the movie. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> and um, a lot of that, of course, again, you deal with a lot of Catholic, uh, Christian, uh, Catholic yeah. themes about you know redemption and getting your just due. Uh, they changed a lot. I, I, from my believe, from the original version. Because in that one, it was a little bit more cut and dry. Yeah. You know, Robert Mitchum was the bad guy. Gregory Peck's the good guy. Yeah. In this one, they gave Nick Nolte's character some flaws, and they made him a little bit more culpable, and right, that made it a little bit more interesting. I don't love Cape Fear. It's not one of my favorite Scorsese movies, but it's still uh, a fascinating movie for just certain scenes. Aesthetics. There's a scene where Max Cady uh, kind of meets Juliette Lewis, who's Nick Nolte's daughter in the movie, right. and she's a teenage girl, and he kind of has a sexual moment with her but it's not even that explicit it's more just like he kind of sucks her thumb (laughs) oh no no no. he or no she sucks his thumb yeah i should say sorry did you say no and there's a scene yeah that scene is great too because it's very they have this dialogue but then that whole moment is just very quiet and he's just kind of looking at her there are a lot of great moments in that movie i heard someone once suggest that De Niro could have been a great pl- choice to play Wolverine 
uh, just by seeing him as Max Katie and Cape Fear, wow. where he's this over the top villain. You know, you just give him like mutton chops and uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and the, the the knives. Yeah. That's an um, intriguing possibility. I think he changed although. the script around Martin uh, Martin because I think the original script that Spielberg gave him was like more of an all. Was it more cut and dry? They were the all American. Uh, so it was closer to the original. Yeah, like like Poltergeist family. You know, they they all love each other, and it's the suburbs, and they have campfire, and they sing songs, and he's like, yeah, I'm not gonna do this. So he changed. <laughs> so he yeah. changed the 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 family into like Nick Nolte's a loser, and the wife doesn't really like him. Well, I, I mean, think I think Nick Nolte wants to do right by his family, but, but he he's failing. but he's messed up. He keeps he, failing, right? Yeah, and you and know, it's where... it's more about like I feel like if a connection to Christianity, it's about temptations. Right. It's about the dark side of of the world. It's hinted um, that maybe Nolte had an affair before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and then by the end of the movie, you just get that great sequence on the, the, boat. the boat, and it leads up to De Niro having a big fist fight with Nick Nolte. And at the end of Cape Fear, Nick, like De Niro is gibbering, like is has a lot of gibberish, but right. he's saying scripture, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, everybody out of you!" Yeah, it's funny. Just in a personal note, me and my brother talk about that scene a lot because we just find that so, like such a funny scene, <laughs> just for like how he's delivering it. Like you're not supposed to be a serious horror type moment he's just like oh lord in heaven and you hear him say like one word in english amongst all the gibberish and it makes it work well. was frankenstein by the way remember that yeah he was frankenstein yeah never, never forget i saw that in an english class in college they had us watch that and uh yeah he was a dirty frankenstein Kenneth Branagh as, uh, he's well and he directed it too yeah yeah um, yeah, he, um, then we get the Age of Innocence, the Age of Innocence, where he, uh, tries something very different, you know, not that, well, his first real period piece, if you don't count Last Temptation, uh, or Boss Car Bertha, yeah, yeah, I guess, <laughs> well, Roger Corman movies don't count, yeah, they don't count, please, um, <laughs> I, uh, I rewatched some of Age of Innocence, uh, to prepare for this, and, Michelle Pfeiffer is really great in that movie. Right. Too. She's really wonderful in that. I don't know. Not that much to say about the movie, except that, you know, you could tell that he was a huge fan of Barry Lyndon watching that movie. Oh, yeah, I think that's the one he likes the most. I think Charlie Rose asked him, like, what's the... What's well, he said Barry Lyndon or 2001. Yeah. Those were the two that, you know... Right, right, he said. yeah. Because you know, he liked... For somebody who's really fast, he likes watching slow-moving right. costume pieces at times. And uh, makes him feel like the Flash. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think you are, Marty Barry Allen? Yes. <laughs> okay. So then he does Age of Innocence. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis first collaboration there in a very restrained role too. By the way, his character Newland Archer is a guy who's a very upstanding member in society. And uh, by the way, Winona Ryder's Ry 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 in it too. Oh, good. And uh, that was a really fascinating movie. Um, then, of course, Casino. Uh, another Nick Pelleggi. Another Nick Pelleggi uh, masterstroke. I watched Casino a lot when I was uh, younger. Uh, it's weird In a weird way, even though I like Goodfellas more, Casino was the one which, at three hours, it's a movie that flies by very fast. Hmm. Very, very fast. It's like this. Um... It's on TV a lot too, but don't if you watch the TV version, up until the Wolf of Wall Street, actually, 
Casino had the most curses of any movie ever. It has, I think, something like 400 uses of the F-word. 300 of which belongs to Joe Pesci. Yes, yeah. pretty much. As, as David Spade said on SNL, he's like, I like Casino. I liked it better the first time I saw it, when it was called Goodfellas. Casino. Casino. <laughs> yeah, I remember that joke, too, and yeah. I wish I didn't. I, I know, I remember a joke that David Spade once told. God damn it. Um, uh, yeah. Really, fan, you know, Probably that's the only a, time David Spade's going to get now, mentioned on. But uh, that's a fascinating movie, and yet, I feel like... The easy thing is to say, yeah, it's a, it's a sequel to Goodfellas. Because, yeah, it has De Niro and Pesci. It's about mobsters. But in a lot of ways, I, I find it kind of... It's a different movie, though. And in a way, it's... I look back when I saw it again last year. Uh, I saw it on the big screen. And in a way, it reminded me a little bit like Taxi Driver more. Because you have De Niro, and he meets this prostitute. Imagine the story where De Niro meets, you know, he plays this guy who meets this working woman. This time, though, she's of age. That's the first thing. And something about her intrigues him enough to marry her. And yet, you know, this woman still can't get away from that world. He's trying to save this this person from this world, but he can't, but this time he can't do it. Because no you know the power, child. the power of James Woods compels her. Yeah, that's the uh, mustache of his. <laughs> Sinister uh, mustache. Yeah. <laughs> the porn star mustache of James Woods. I love James Woods. Lester in that Diamond. Movie. Remember Lester Diamond? The I, pimp, the car shock. That guy. The the the. the, hey, the take pimp. my money. Take yeah. it. Be a man. <laughs> be a be a man. If you ever come around here again, ever to take her money, <laughs> this next time bring a pistol. That way you got a better chance. Be a man. Don't be a fucking pimp. You want to do me a favor? Get out of here. Get out of here. I want to be alone with my wife. Get the fuck up and get out of here. I, I, I just... think about that scene all the time. <laughs> I just think it's like it's one of the great confrontation scenes. Because he just walks in there while Sharon Stone and James Woods are having that conversation. And he's like, Lester. Lester, right? Sam. And it's just so awkward. And the interesting thing, too, is that they... When I suddenly think about how they previous, the only other time they worked together was on uh, Once Upon a Time in America. Yeah. <laughs> Very different characters there. But so again, again, yeah, obviously Goodfellas, Needle Drop. You know, the yeah. soundtrack to Casino is phenomenal. Yeah. I've I've owned the, the soundtrack Casino. Heart of Stone is on there. Heart of Stone. You got uh, Nielsen's Without You, um, In Crowd. Uh, so many great songs. Um, uh, but um, again, it, it unfolds quickly. Is that one you still haven't seen? Still haven't seen Okay. Um, <laughs> Compared to what? God damn it. Yeah, there are a lot of eclectic songs on there, and that's what makes the movie move very quickly. Yeah, I was watching and that. a lot of great casting. Don Rickles in the movie, yeah. he plays uh, the casino manager. Um, the, the casino probably manager the funniest part. The yeah. Players. Yeah, you're. <laughs> You see, you're you're just reacting because it's in your head too, right, isn't right. it? Um, Don Rickles, James Woods, Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollock shows up in it. Um, uh, Frank Vincent. Frank Vincent once again. Once again. Uh, Billy Bats, remember that? There are a lot of interesting little parts. I don't know if you guys ever heard of the Smothers Brothers yeah, show. Yeah, of course. One of the Smothers Brothers plays. Um, senator. Yeah, the senator who pr- prosecutes him. Which interestingly, in real life, that was Harry Reid. Really? Who used to be, you know, the Senate Majority Leader. Exactly. And um, so, 
in real life, Harry Reid prosecuted Sam Ro- or not Sam Rothstein, the other he was named Lefty, something else. Ro- Rosenthal. Yeah, Rosenthal. Um, Get this through your head, you Jew motherfucker! If you ever, and I mean, if you ever go over my back. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That whole scene. <laughs> you die. There are a lot of scenes like that in this the movie, scene Andrew. Is awesome, man. There are a lot of moments where. And yet, like I said, the movie has a lot of sound, it has a lot of colors, it's Las Vegas, so things are very bright. It was the very last movie where uh, Saul Bass uh, designed the credit sequence. Uh. Uh, You know, of course, Saul Bass from the Hitchcock films. Um, Vertigo. And uh, yeah, Vertigo. We have the poster right there. Anatomy of a Murder. Uh, Anatomy of a Murder. And in this, in, in the opening sequence of Casino... It follows the opening scene is De Niro getting into a car and exploding, and then the De Niro's yeah. flying through the but De Niro flying through the air <laughs> is kind of like the figure used in the opening credits. Like you keep seeing this character bounce around like throughout the lights of Las Vegas, like in mafia. and it's beautiful. It's ab- and they put it to uh, I forget the music in that one, but it's oh, and another song they use is George Delarue, uh, uh, who did uh, the score for Contempt, the Godard film. Uh, and he also did Platoon. Um, now, Jack, is Casino his first collaboration with uh, Robert Richardson? Yes, that's a good question. The yeah. great lighting, of the, the high-key lighting. Like yeah, Robert Halo. Richardson. You know Robert Richardson because if you've seen Tarantino's work in the past ten years, yeah, that's Kill, all Robert Richardson. Kill Bill was his first? Whenever you see a table and there's a big light... In the middle of it, that's Robert Richardson lighting. A few good men. Uh, he did a lot of uh, Stones movies yeah. too. Um, yeah, so Casino, a very exciting, very funny movie. Uh, it's like when I saw it again, I wondered, all right, is it as great as I remembered it? And I said yes. Is it one of the all-time great Scorsese? I'm not sure anymore. It's just, Maybe it's, it's not as fun. much as when I was younger. It's a fun, fun it's just movie. Fun, yeah. You know, like I said, any movie where Joe Pesci hits Don Rickles in the head with a phone, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> you know, you gotta watch them. How can you grin? How the fuck can you yeah. grin? <laughs> Take this stick and shove it up your fucking ass. Hit me again. <laughs> Take this stick and shove it up your sister's ass. Hit me again. That's right. Keep on dealing me. Cap. That's right. Keep on dealing me, you fucker. If you had to be honest, you'd be begging for a living. <laughs> Make uh, make sure you put the explicit thing on this. <laughs> I will. <laughs> hey, you're watch, you're listening to a podcast about Scorsese. Sorry, guys. You get the idea. All right, let's get through these faster because uh, we're you know I don't want this to last too much longer. Let's bring out the uh, next. Oh, no, no, Kundun. Kundun. I liked it. That's the. There's one gag I need to mention with Kundun. Um, on there on the first season of Sopranos, right. there's a scene where uh the character of Christopher and his friend they're like waiting outside some club. And a car- it's Scorsese pulls up to go inside. It's not really him. Right. I remember when I was a kid and I first saw that scene of Sopranos. I'm like, oh my god, Scorsese. And the gag is that they, as he's walking in, they say, hey, Kundun, I liked it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, out of all the movies, that's the one they picked. Yeah. <laughs> well, it just come out. So yeah, it's probably... oh, it just come and out. then uh, Bring Out the Dead. Uh, which, oh, yeah, uh, Nicholas Cage. I, and I love that movie. Again. That's one of the most underrated films i think that yeah. he made i and i got lucky enough to see that when it came out and um, i remember seeing it because i got grounded 99. around the wow. time when that happened 
And my parents told me, all right, you cannot go to the movies for a week. And I'm like, but the new Scorsese comes out. I'm like, we don't care. You're grounded. And I was so mad. I did get to see it, but it was not the opening weekend. I had in my head, oh, my God, I can finally see a Scorsese movie on opening weekend. And that'll teach you a lesson. It did. It actually did. And I, I don't think I ever got grounded ever again. I have it on right. DVD. It's, pretty, it's a good companion piece to Taxi Driver, only because it's the opposite. Instead of wanting to kill people, he wants to save them. Well, yeah, he's not destructive. Yeah. And Travis Bickle is somebody who detaches from society. Right. And he just, you know, um, and he decides like I can't take it anymore, and I'm gonna take it out on the man. If you're working as an ambulance person, you want to try to help people. Yeah. And that's his conflict in the film. Again, guilt. He can't save Again, people. guilt. Yeah. Again, very much a thing that Paul Schrader has Paul in that so- story. It's somebody who wants to make a difference. And uh, the the Catholic theme is right in yeah. the poster. In a sense, it's, it's, it's kind of like... If, you, know what you, you know what Bring Out the Dead is? You take a little bit of Taxi Driver. You take a little bit of Last Temptation of Christ. There you go. You yeah. put it together. Mush it up a little bit into the early nineties. It's a really great film. Um, you know, uh, again, I'm I don't know because you know what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to try to save people and try to make driving them around good. the car or the whole New York. Yeah, Jesus did that. And again, great soundtrack. <laughs> That's the, pretty. The, and Nicolas Cage, of course, he's being good, serious Nicolas Cage. Yeah, married to Patricia Arquette at the time. Who's in the movie? Patricia oh, I did not know he yeah. was married there. So Patricia Arquette married uh, the Ghost Rider and the Punisher. She was married to Thomas Jane. <laughs> Wait. To, to oh, okay. I, I was like, Ghost Rider. And I was like, I was not like, Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider. No, I thought he meant the Ghost Writer. No, like Ewan McGregor. And writer. I'm like, no, no, the Writer. Right. Uh, she was married to the writer and the Punisher. I, I got you now. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> uh, great companion piece. Uh, That's an yeah. Patr- good, uh, thank you, Patricia Arquette, for giving me that trivia. Um, yeah, there's some funny stuff in that movie too, like that scene where Ving Rhames and Nicolas <laughs> Cage. The ambulance. Well, that, but also before that, when they go to revive the guy, his name's I B Bangin. And Please, Ving Rames, yeah, Ving Rames goes through that whole speech, like to try to distract them from Nick Cage reviving this guy. He's like, "You have the power to save him. Rise up! I'll be begging." <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, um, Don, Don King, man, he gave his Oscar away to, to Jack Lemmon, right? No, his Golden Globe to got Jack Lemmon. Ving Rhames. What? Really? When when Ving Rhames won for the Don King story, he won the Golden Globe for best in a TV. Okay. So he's like, uh, Mr. Lemon, where are, Lemon was nominated that year for something. I think I don't know what it was. And Mr. Lemon, where are you? Please come up to the stage, sir. And he's like, this uh, this award is for you, sir. And the crowd went crazy, and he got so much huh. applause, which is why in Bamboozled, Spike Lee makes fun of him with the Damon Wayans character. When he wins oh, the, really? When Damien wins... Well, wins, I didn't like Bamboozled, so... Yeah, I don't weird, remember much from that it's movie. It's a weird little movie, but Spike Lee criticized Ving Rhames for that. He's like, how can you give your thing away? You're making him look bad. Well, it's not even so much about that. I feel like Jack Lemmon, by that point, has been honored so many times right, right, by right. the industry. Yeah. You know, he knows he's yeah, great. Yeah, he's, he's Jack Lemmon. Yeah. You know... I, I, t- I tell you, Kenny, you know... If he had never been awarded his entire life, right. that'd be one thing. But like Jack Lemon's a Jack Peter Lemon is a guy who won the Oscar in 1973 over Jack Nicholson, The Last Detail, Marlon Brando, and Last in Last Tango, Tango in Paris, Paris, 
and Al Pacino and Serpico, <laughs> his best performance. So don't tell last me that Jack Lemmon hasn't gotten his right. due. Last Tango of the Christ. <laughs> last last <laughs> Last Tango and what? I'm last done. Tango of the Christ. This <laughs> <laughs> last dance before the crucifixion. Okay, let's get through the rest of these. All right, now we're in the 21st century, um, because Brand of the Dead is awesome, we know that. Um, and aside from that, by the way, he makes so many documentaries, too, during this time. He does personal uh, adventure Journey, through yeah. American movies. He does My Voyage to Italy, which is Italian movies doc, which is really great. And that got me noticed to a lot of Italian right. movies by right. Rossellini. You mentioned that during the... Uh, okay, so we did that. Also? Gang, yeah. Italian well, American. oh yeah, about his parents. Uh, gang. Oh, and by the way, really fast, director of Bad. <laughs> of Michael he's Jackson. He's in the movie, right? He's in the video, right? Isn't he, didn't he's, he on a, he's on the Wanted poster. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> that, that music video is so cheesy because <laughs> uh, at the end of it like after they do the song in the subway Michael Jackson and his group are still dancing in front of Wesley Snipes yeah. and they're like who's bad who's bad who's bad who's bad and then Wesley Snipes is just like alright you're bad and he just leaves so what's up remember that he's like so what's yeah. up and then he goes, I don't know if you've seen the music video for bad I'm sure or at least the music video for fat okay Gangs of New York. Gangs, we were yeah. talking a little Gangs bit about York. that off mic, and I don't know. Gangs that of New was, York. That, that I, was it. Was one of his pet projects. Like Martin Scorsese he said, did I want to make, I want to make two movies. One of them, I want to make. All right. A Last Temptation of Christ and Silence. No, and and Gangs of New York. Yeah. yeah, yeah Silence yeah. came up in the '90s. I'm sorry. Um. Yeah, that was. Uh, here's a here's a trivia. In a question. way, another film about organized crime. That's right. I wouldn't say this one's so much about guilt, although it is about... Uh, I, this is more of a historical drama to me. This is more, more about yeah. looking at like what shaped a city at a time. Because I think what Scorsese said is that you can look at Gangs New York and see the germ of everything that's to come in a lot of my other New York movies. Right. Because you get this time period where everything was really primitive and savage. When people well, when would New have York no... Well, New York City wasn't what it was. There were... The five boroughs were five different towns. Yeah, the Bronx was like the wilderness, basically. Yeah, it was it was rural. Yeah, it was rural, and Brooklyn was still kind of its own kind of it's mass. Not until, it's not until uh, much later there. that all these boroughs are going to be to be uh, consolidated into New York. Yeah, City, as we know it. like there's a scene in Gangs of New York where, um, like, Leonardo DiCaprio finds that he's been pickpocketed by Cameron Diaz. Yeah. And he goes to follow her, and suddenly it's like, wait, wait, are we still in the city? It feels like now we're in the country for a moment. Yeah. And he's just gone like a few blocks north. <laughs> um, and yeah. uh, really great production value through the whole movie. Daniel uh, Day-Lewis is great. Yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis knocks it out of the park. Uh, the great trivia about him is that he listened to Eminem to pump himself up while training <laughs> to do the movie. Like, he would work out and listen to, like, the, the Marshall Mathers LP or stuff like that. Uh, oh, Hi, here, here, my name is... Huh? Yeah. Who would listen to that? Yeah. Hi. Yes, and uh, his uh, character... Doing shoes at the time. My name is... Ooh, my name is... Some shady. <laughs> That's great. Um, Remember the two rules of Daniel Day-Lewis. What are they? What are they? Act, rule number one, act in movies. Rule number two, win Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, except that year he didn't win, but that's it's fine. There's a great shot Brody. in New York where he t- takes a knife and throws it at Lincoln's uh, yeah. poster. He's like, oh, that's my next role. 
<laughs> Good, not bad. Uh, and he wins for that, right? Oh no, I I totally thought about yeah. Gangs of New York when he was cast as Lincoln. I'm like, oh, that's kind of ironic. That's right. <laughs> so, they, they hate him in that. That's right. Yeah. Um. Oh, small trivia fact. Back in the 70s, when T- Scorsese wanted to make this, and by the way, he kind of not directly, but he kind of says because of Heaven's Gate, he couldn't make Gangs that's of New right, York. Yeah. Because you know he wanted to do this big epic, and then all of a sudden Michael Cimino fucks it up for everybody. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Heaven's Gate came out two weeks after Raging Bull. Yeah, and Raging Bull, you know, he said that, like, because MGM bought up UA, you actually couldn't see Raging Bull for a number of years. That's right, yeah. And it wasn't until, like, people like Siskel and Ebert put on their top ten of the 80s that suddenly they're like, oh, we got to check out Raging Bull again. It was the name number one. Yeah. Here's the thing. Gangs of New York, it seems like the same story as what would become The Departed. In what way? A young man uh, who happens to be played by Leonardo DiCaprio. He's from prison. Co- uh, comes back to his old neighborhood, more or less, to uh-huh. infiltrate the gang of the of this crime lord. Now, hmm. in the first one, his motive is revenge. In the other one, it's just uh, being a cop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess in that sense, you could say yeah. And. and I mean, he doesn't. He's not really out to get revenge against Costello. He's no. out to just take him down. Yeah, I, I guess I can see that. That's a good interesting point. All right, but he infiltrates the gang. There's even to, there. You could even say that there are scenes in both Gangs of New York and The Departed where, like, DiCaprio has really intense, like, confrontations, but like not in a screaming way. More on like a low key level with. Daniel Day-Lewis and Jack Nicholson. Like, there's a scene... Who do you think is scarier to work with, Daniel Day-Lewis or Jack Nicholson? Uh, That's a tough call. That's really <laughs> tough. What do you say, Romney? I would say Daniel Day-Lewis because it depends on the role he gets. Uh, I don't know. I mean, The Departed, there's a scene where Jack Nicholson is at, like, the breakfast table, and what he brings it? out a guy's hand from, a, like, a bag, and he's just like... Well, well, the point I'm getting at with you is that and, and I, I guess I can use up. you. Yeah, oh, can you k- take this hand? Thank you. It's like you have a severed hand in your hands. <laughs> I, I saw that in the theater the first time, and I was cracking up laughing, but I was like, oh, my God. He's holding a hand, and nobody's commenting on it, except in DiCaprio's like, yeah. And he goes to the back yeah. to cut up some guy. With a oh, yeah, that too. Well, the scene I was thinking about was the one where Nicholson basically comes out and Costello tells him, so I smell a rat. You know, uh, and he and like he basically points a gun right at him. And he's like, you got something you want to ask me? Yeah, totally improvised. You could tell Mar- There's Leo, a lot of improv Leo's in like, that movie. Like, remember he sneaks up behind him like... Mm-hmm. And Leo's like, what the hell is Jack doing? He's like, it's how... You can tell his face, yeah. like, he doesn't know what, what's going on. You know? mm. <laughs> like, I think it's a good moment to talk about DiCaprio and Scorsese movies. I think certain people said, wow, so you found... There are some people say, wow, you found your new De Niro now. And there are some people who are like, you're no De Niro. Yeah. Well, no, and, he's not De Niro. And ironically, De Niro recommended DiCaprio to Scorsese. Because they did a movie together called This Boy's Life, where... De Niro played DiCaprio's father. He was like an abusive asshole, and uh, and it's because of this that De Niro said, "You know, you should work with this guy. He's actually not yeah. bad." Yeah. And um, after Titanic, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. He became bankable. 
Yeah, he, yeah, he became bankable. Uh, and the Titanic, he exploded. Yeah, you know, basically. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of cool though that and you you get this you get this chance after you are in the, the biggest. Beach. <laughs> no, not the beach. <laughs> <laughs> what happens? We know. watched the beach, didn't that we? That came. Were you there with that me when we watched that, that, Andrew? Yes. I watched that at your old house. That movie does not hold up. Danny Boyle and, oh, God. and Tilda Swinton. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, the beach does not. I like. I kind of liked the beach when I first saw it. Yeah. Okay. And yet, it it's a stupid movie. Yeah. People do a lot of stupid things in the beach. Well, but after the beach, he kind of went away for a while. No, nah, but then he did Gangs New York, and then now yeah. it's a lot of his biggest movies are with him. Are with yeah. him the Aviator, The Departed. Shutter Island and oh, Wolf of Wall Street. Are we about Shutter Island for a while? Uh, Let's do that really fast then. Yeah, what do you think of Shutter Island? I like I like what's going on because you have to you'll appreciate the movie more if you understand where Craig is coming from. He's coming from old B movies and hmm. and film noir and Hitchcock. It's it's a lot. It's it's a way I looked at Shutter Island as him doing Cape Fear in a way. Like here's another stylized horror movie type of thing. I agree with you. You know, maybe film noir to an extent, but a lot more psychological. I think that... And of course, the main thing with Shutter Island is uh, the cabin of Dr. Caligari. Exactly. Spoilers. Um, Right. I think we all saw that coming, I mean, midway through. I mean, to the same patient missing, the same asylum, the detective. A lot of, of like, you know, uh, Invasion of Body Snatchers, Laura, uh, Out of the Past. I mean, to me, the thing was, I actually didn't see it right away that what what the, the sort of reveal is in that okay. movie i actually was along i was just along for the ride i'm like okay what yeah. is this mystery what who is this person they're trying to find on I, this yeah. island and yet there's what i love about the movie is that even if okay you you find out about who dicaprio's character is but there's still all this creepy sh- exactly. stuff on this yeah, island yeah, yeah. there's still all of these elements all these characters who you know, you're on an island for the criminally insane. Yeah. You're not dealing with the freshest uh, bunch exactly, of apples. Yeah. And a lot of the style in that movie is very tense. Like, right. the way characters sometimes are just walking around a corridor, a lighting a match, and there's Jackie Earl Haley. Jackie Earl Haley. Um, uh, George Noyce. Yeah, um, and... Uh, great novel too, if you ever get a chance to read it. I was thinking about reading that someday. I think you like. I think the book uh, and the movie are very faithful. They're both great. But the, remember, he went to World War II. The character of, of Teddy Daniels. So there's all yeah. there's that element of it of war, war and what it does to your mind, mm-hmm. the nightmares he keeps having. Yeah. Um. There is that, and I know I know it pisses some people off that ending. It's like, oh, really? What I kind of liked about those is how like Ben Kingsley explains it to him. Like you would like this, Andrew. Like he brings out like the blackboard and shows him all of the reasons why he yeah. is who he is. And, it's a great uh, thrill ride. I, I mean, I like it for the aesthetics of it. I see that my lecture didn't didn't uh, convince you. Let me bring out the PowerPoint. <laughs> yes, uh, Exhibit A. You see, Teddy, you yeah. are Andrew Latus. You know. Uh, yeah, spoiler. Big spoiler. Um, sorry. <laughs> uh, that movie's like ten years old now. Yeah, you see, five. Leonardo DiCaprio, you're actually Kaiser Soze. <laughs> <laughs> you see, Leo DiCaprio, you're actually dead the whole time. You see, Leo DiCaprio, you're actually uh, Rosebud. <laughs> you're actually a sled. <laughs> you see, Leo DiCaprio, you're... people slide down you all the time. You're actually and made they of get people. other people slide down you on their way to Oscars. You're made of people. Yeah. <laughs> um. But the, actually, the film you I want... Leonardo DiCaprio. You blew it up! <laughs> <laughs> Damn you! 
right. But yeah. that, that, that's you. my thing on Shutter Island. I think it's a really great movie. I like it. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, dude. And you, um, that's another one you should check catch up on, Andrew, at some Damn point. Damn you! Especially because I know you like really gothic exactly. horror movie, like The Haunting. This is kind of like Scorsese's tribute to The Haunting or, and or Clue or something like that. Is it Clue? Uh, John Landis. Who? Then, yeah, I love maybe. Clue. I love Clue. It's just more of a comedy. You're right, but yeah, the whole, the whole not setting, a comedy. The whole setting of thunder and rain and other uh, mansion and island. The far atmosphere. Away. The atmosphere, and they both take place in 1950. I just remember okay, Clue being kind of a light movie. Really? Yeah. Well, it's a really great movie. All right. With it's a, great it's cast. a fun movie. I haven't seen that movie. The thing about that movie is that they used to show it on Comedy Central all the time, right, yeah. and because of that, I don't. I, I don't remember if they played all of the endings or maybe just some of them. Some, they did a weird thing some. when they released that movie. They only played in some theaters. They played one ending and another one. They play another. Yeah. Um, you see Leonardo DiCaprio. I am your father. <laughs> That's um, impossible. Okay. All right. Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, I have to mention that really fast because. What about Hugo? Oh yeah, of course Hugo. Hugo. Uh, Hugo's really good. You've seen Hugo. I've seen Hugo. Uh, Hugo's uh, really to touching movie yeah. and his tribute to the movies. Yeah, yeah. I love uh, that whole section in the middle. Ben one. Kingsley yeah. again. Ben Kingsley. Ben back. Kingsley again. Uh, Asia Butterworth. Uh, he kind of gets Asa, his. Asa, not Asia. All right, Asa. Asa. <laughs> Who names their kid Asa? Look, I, I'm not in charge of names, man. Good. All right, all right. Asa Butterworth is quite good as the kid who's kind of like an orphan orphan it's a little bit of a, of a tribute i thought to dickens in a way too it's this young kid who's off on his own and yeah. he's kind of discovering the world and uh and then chloe moretz you know kind of helps him along a little bit it's a, it's a really good movie because uh, i mean i had no idea who george Melies was before I, I knew sort of about. I mean, I knew but, about the trip know, to the moon. About, I knew about. But I didn't know, know about his history. Yeah, right, the fact. Yeah, yeah and Ben Kingsley does a great job in that. When I mean, you find out his whole ben, history, it's yeah. so touching. I, you know, Ben Kingsley has been in his share of crap. It's fortunate yes. to know that this helped balance it out. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I thought also that no, thunder. Another thing yes, that's important uh, and is blood rain. Oh, blood rain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Hey, everybody needs money. I guess. Yeah, um, the kitchen, love guru. The love guru. Oh. the payoff. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Searching for Bobby Fischer or something? You're welcome. Nah. What? That's a real movie. I know, I'm just joking. I'm, I'm, Jeez. I'm, I'm trying cast. to think of other shitty movies. I can't, I can't think of much else to say about Hugo, though. It's a good movie. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it's... Uh, well, what I would also say, though, is... Um, when I heard that Scorsese was doing a 3D movie, I was both very intrigued and very worried. But I thought he used it in a way that was very skillful. Because I actually saw was, it in 3D. Yeah, I saw it in 3D, too, and because I was By curious... Accident. Oh, oh, you didn't mean to? <laughs> no, uh, it was the only sh playing showing at that time we were there, okay. so we had to go through it. But uh, but I thought that they, you know, because the thing is, a lot there are times where the movie recreates uh, the Melies sets, and that made it interesting because when you see things in 3D, in a 3D movie, sometimes it makes things smaller, or it makes things a little more distorted where b between the background and the foreground. Right. But I feel like Scorsese was really messing with that in a good way. He knew, okay, I'm making a movie about silent films, so yeah, I can I can mess with the perspective, and it can be visually interesting and intriguing. Um, and uh, I mentioned the Aviator really fast. Aviator is a really good movie. Uh, Bob Dylan, George Harrison documentaries. Go see those guys. Um, yeah, and Living in the Material World. Excellent, yes, excellent, excellent movie. Oh man, you like George Harrison a little bit? 
Go see George no. Harrison. He was a Beatle, remember him? No. He, he, sure, he, I love George Harrison. He's great. George, George Harrison was a Beatle from time to time. <laughs> you know that, don't you? George, where are you going? I, I think I'm going to go hang out with the Maha you Yushi have, for you a little while. Impressions in I here. can't do any impressions. No, it's, <laughs> I, I can do impressions. A few. No, no British impressions. No, no, he can't do any impressions, man. What's up, man? And then Dutch Holder walks That was in. my bad McCartney. I know how to do all four Beatles. I'm just I, my and, dude George the best. And then John Travolta walks in and says, <laughs> <laughs> "That's all he says." <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street, though, I have to mention that because that I think is his one of his best movies. Yeah. I fucking love the Wolf of Wall Street. I had to use fucking because that's a movie that requires that word. Yeah. Um, that uh, I, I mean, could, I could watch that right what now. What can we say? We she he introduced Margot Robbie to us. I mean, Margot Robbie, Jonah that. Hill really knocks out of the park with that movie. Right. It's a movie that is a gangster movie, but it's all but it's about stockbrokers. Right. And what I love about that is that stockbrokers are legal, and yet this movie <laughs> shows them to be just the, the least same ethical people. <laughs> yes. They show them to be even more monstrous and uncaring than the mobsters. <laughs> they make all of their money, the, especially these characters, Jordan Belfort makes all of his money by using crappy penny stocks to con people into, you know, making him extremely rich. Um, and you know, you could say, "Oh, well, well he wasn't he wasn't indicative of everybody on Wall Street. He was doing his own illegal thing he was laundering money he was doing all, all this crazy sex and drugs and everything but it's symptomatic of what is wrong with greed in america like this there's a scene in this movie where uh you know like where de niro's not de niro god dicaprio uh, you know jordan belford's giving this long speech to his men almost like a roman general to his troops out in an office about to make phone calls and he says you know you know, you're late in your car payments? Good. Pick up the phone start dialing. Does your wife think you're a loser? Good. Pick up the phone and start dialing. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. <laughs> and what is all else sums up American greed than that? I think right. that and uh, Casino are great, you know, back-to-back. -back. They but kind of are. They're yeah, I mean, they're both epics. And, uh, greed, they're both yeah. about, I mean... Excess. Excess to a degree. Like, Wolf of Wall Street, I feel like Scorsese decided, all right, if I'm going to do this movie... This has to be the nadir. This has to be right. the point where everything... I can't go further than this. You know, if I go any further than this now, I'm 70 years old. I'm going to break as a human being. But I'm going to do this one last thing. And I'm going to make... It's one of his funniest movies. Whether or not it's a comedy, I laughed so much during this movie. They have so much great improv with Jonah Hill and uh, a lot of the other actors. Um, people like Rob Reiner show up. Huh. And uh, father, Rob yeah. Reiner plays his father. He's nicknamed Mad Max. And uh, it's. Uh, and you also get John Favreau in it, Spike Jones. Uh, he shows up in a scene. Um, oh, and uh, John Dujardin from the OSS movies the and the artist. Yeah. He plays a really sleazy Swiss banker. And <laughs> he shows up in just two scenes. Um, oh, and narration is used really well in those movies, too. Uh. Like he again, everything is pushed even more. This is like Goodfellas on steroids, <laughs> if if that's possible. And what's great too is that Scorsese. It's so daring because he could. Another filmmaker, for example, would maybe show one or two of the people who've been affected by this guy's crimes. Jordan Belfort, the people he robbed and conned. 
and you know to maybe show a little bit more of oh so this is what happens oh uh, aren't you feeling so sad Scorsese's like no no it's yeah. all on these guys you know that what they're doing is bad we know it's bad we're just going to show them and it's what the daring is just like with uh, Goodfellas the daring and the scary part is that you almost you you find it fun. It's exhilarating to go through the back way through the Copacabana. It's it's exhilarating to be able to uh, you know have all this lavish stuff. Right. Um, the Quaaludes, on the other hand, is another matter. Um, like watching this movie, you know, it's it's kind of it's it's amazing to suddenly think, wait, Leonardo DiCaprio can pull off slapstick. <laughs> There's a scene where he's completely off his ass on drugs, and he just has to crawl from a building into his car and how he does it. It's almost like he becomes Harold Lloyd or something. He hangs his foot off of like the car door because it's one of those cars that slides up like one of those fancy cars, oh, yeah. like a Lamborghini with the, gu- with the gull wing doors. Yeah. And it's like his foot is up there and he can't get down. And Oh man, it's just so much fun. This movie. And yet about something really scary. So it's, uh, it's like a, the fact that that a man like Scorsese can make Wolf of Wall Street or uh, or or George Miller can make Fury Road. I just show it just shows that. All right, Tarantino, you gotta shut up about your. I'm gonna retire at sixty because all movies <laughs> old men make are bad. Yeah. You know that you shut up. <laughs> I guess he was thinking about. Uh, he was thinking about old time filmmakers who John did Houston, fall off. Probably. Sure, no, no. He was ta- Well, he was talking more about like Billy Wilder. I see. You know, when you make like a movie like Buddy Buddy, or uh, or I don't know. Um, Wise, maybe. What's something, that, Andrew? Can you think of a movie that a filmmaker made near the end of his career that was really bad? Yeah. Um, uh, no. Okay, off the top of your head. All right, I'm sure you'll think of. You'll be driving home and you'll be like, "Oh, did you ever see uh, Midnight Cowboy or Marathon Man?" John I have Fletcher. seen Marathon Man. Oh, wasn't his last movie with Madonna and Ruby oh. Everett? Oh, I never, I never saw that movie, and that was back when I was seeing everything. I heard that movie was so bad. It's uh, what's it called? Um, the the next best thing. Yeah. It's, so the point is, though, Martin Scorsese. Master of film, right? Master of uh, his domain. <laughs> so you're <laughs> still the say. master of your domain. He, he's king of the cinematic county. Let's uh, uh, let's let's try let, again. Let's try. Let's leave it at that. Right, it's crazy. He's pretty good. If you haven't seen a film of his, like I haven't, then maybe you should. You go have out seen and see a number some. of his movies. Yeah. You need to see more of them. So be like if Andrew you don't want and see more of his to movies. yell at you. Go see more Scorsese films. Did we skip anything? And you can yell I, we, at them. If I, I tried to address as much as I could. If I skipped over we anything... We have been talking for two hours. Yes. Oh, have we? So, yes. time flies, just like a Scorsese movie. Okay. And uh, just remember that, uh, like I said, if uh, if you want to see any of the movies that we talked about, please do. You know, they're out there. They're available we in the world. We invite you to see the movies. Yes, and uh, and if you want to send us any thoughts or questions or comments about the movies we watch, send it to the wages of to the wages of cinema at gmail dot com, and you can also find us on iTunes. Please subscribe, and if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. Uh, we're looking for more of those. Uh, like us on Facebook. You can see exclusive videos and updates regarding our videos. And uh, and also pretty soon, uh, on, we won't mention it directly here, but we may have an announcement pretty soon about a special event that we're going to be doing. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. If you happen to be in the uh, New York, New Jersey area, and want to see us? Uh, we're coming. We're planning something for this September. Hopefully, we can pull it off. Uh, but until then, uh, we'll let you know. Yes. And um, so next time we record, hopefully, we'll have more good movies. Uh, maybe we'll have another uh, master in our midst, which would be kind of cool. Not bad, I'm having Andrew. A tease. See what he it? Ah, see. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew is a master of something, I guess. All right, and so uh, I'm Jack, and by the way, we were very happy to have Romney on our show tonight. Thank you, guys. Um, You're welcome. So I'm Jack. I'm Andrew. I'm Romney. And uh, let me remind you that the wages of cinema is death. Have a good night. He's my